And then you go further into Orange County, and you have the Trinity League, which I think is the has to be the best high school football conference in America. Yeah. And, I mean, with Modern Day, St. John Bosco, Servite, Santa Margarita, Olu, who am I missing? Jay Sarah. Jay Sarah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, I mean, what was it like playing in that conference? Well, I would like to believe that I had, would have had a lot more years in my career if I wasn't playing that high level of football in, in high school. And I joke around with my dad about it. Like, hey, maybe if I went to, uh, you know, some other high school that was like D2-ish and I played football, baseball, and basketball and just developed because it's all about hitting your peak at the right time. I mean, mm-hmm. theoretically, in the long run. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, I looking backwards, I mean, who knows, it could be over, but like, like, I don't want to say I peaked in high school because I had a good college career, but like in terms of that run where like my body was really like, I was able to go nonstop every day. And like, um, I mean, I got, I played well in high school, but I got beat up a lot too. I mean, the, the modern day and Moscow D lines, I mean, they were like insane. They had eight or 10 guys going D one just on defense. Um, and yeah. And we were, we didn't really recruit like that. Like, the one thing I respect about San Margarita is we're like some local homegrown, like <laughs> our, my sister cheered in San Margarita, but like everyone else, like their brother played there or like their dad was a coach there or like we all played together in Pop Warner. Like there was no recruiting of outsiders coming in. Um, and we were dealing with Modern Day and Bosco, Jay Sarah, bussing kids in from whether it was Bellflower, from Crenshaw, from L.A., yeah. all the way down to Santa Ana. Like they were getting the dudes. Um, and so, I mean, anyways, high school, like, like the Trinity league was, it was a huge advantage for me. Number one, playing with that talent, because then when I rolled out and played off season seven on seven and and you kind of got a scope into what the rest of high school football looks like, um, it was, it was an advantage of playing, um, with that caliber of guys around you. Um, but it also took a bit of a toll, um, but no, I mean, the Trinity League is legit, and now it's gotten even better. You know, I mean, my junior year, my best year in, in high school, we finished third in the league, and Bosco finished number one in the country, Saint, uh, and they lost to Modern Day. So instead of Modern Day being two in the country, they were like three or four, and we were three in the country. We were like 20 in the country uh, in the national rankings, and Servite, we barely beat Servite. Servite was like 25. They took an at-large bid of Santa Margarita and Servite to go to the playoffs because only two teams went from each league, and they gave both the at-larges to us. But it was like – it was – at the time, it was insanely competitive. Now it's really just Bosco and Modern Day. It's the Alabama-Georgia deal because all the resources are going in there. I mean, there's kids with NIL deals in high school. Like, there's kids getting paid a 1000 bucks a month or something crazy, plus free tuition, plus getting – transportation to and from plus who knows what else you know um maybe yeah i mean it's it's gotten crazy at least from what i've heard but uh no that was kind of high school ball kj who are the biggest who are the biggest beasts that you played in high school like whether it was guys that you know went on to the league or guys that were just unbelievable in their high school days like who who did you play that you were like okay holy shit this is this is next level um, well, against or, or with me, I mean, like, 
Both, both. Yeah, both. I mean, I mean, um, I got to give a shout out to my boy K Sweet, Cal Sweet. He was like the coldest <laughs> slot receiver I've ever. Like, I mean, we we broke every record there was at in high school at San Margarita, but it was because he played quarterback for twelve years in Pop Warner, and um, it was like a deal. It was like who was going to be the guy, the quarterback at San Margarita, and he was kind of slotted to be the guy. He played quarterback as a sophomore. But if he was going to play in college, like, and on, it was going to be a wide receiver kind of thing. And it just so worked out that he was willing to go to wide out. Um, but, I mean, he was, like, he was, like, my Julian Edelman all the way through in high school. But, I mean, like, dude, like, Bosco had Jaleel would dude would catch a bubble screen for 80 yards, like, almost every game, you know, who ended up going to UCLA. And, I mean, just thinking about Bosco alone, I mean, they had Damian Mama who was, like, 340 pounds, 350 pounds as a senior in high school. Um, you know, I mean, there was all sorts of guys. I mean, Rosen, Rosen tore it up pretty good. Um, Josh Rosen tore it up pretty good. Uh, I mean, JT Daniels was playing as a true freshman at modern day, winning and, games. Like and KJ, if I remember the timeline properly, maybe I'm off by a year. Wasn't he playing ahead of Bryce Young? Wouldn't Bryce Young have been like – was he on the bench behind him, or was he? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, the depth is just unbelievable. So it's I get I get confused because like time flies, but like JT was a year behind me, or like two years behind me. Um, he forewent his senior year of high school. Um, no, yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, he forewent his no his senior year. His oh, senior yeah, year, I think I think you're right. Yeah, his senior did. year, he didn't play. He went straight to um, what, yes, now I'm trying to remember believe, if it was SC believe, or Georgia. But I believe he did eighth grade a second time because he wanted to come in <laughs> in high school playing as a true freshman. And they had a guy, Jack Lowry. I don't know if you remember the guy could throw. I remember the ball him. The guy could throw the ball 130 <laughs> yards. The guy literally had the best arm I've ever seen. <laughs> you know. They, he would go to Clarkson and they'd tell him to stop throwing it so damn hard. That was like his yeah. main piece of feedback. They're like, you don't have to throw it as hard as you can every time. Can you even yeah. say that? Dude, it's crazy. This, it's not a catchable not... ball at a certain point. It's not like yeah, yeah, fastballs. Yeah, I mean, God, I never thought that that would be an issue for a Q. But I, in high school at the time, I mean, whatever. But, um, yeah, so love, uh, Bryce... Young was after JT, but JT played as a true freshman and like took him to CIF. I think he won fresh. I think freshman year he won CIF, like they beat Bosco, or at least turned around and won sophomore year. So I was kind of in the shadows of modern day and Bosco. Unfortunately, my whole time <laughs> we we tried to we tried to beat him a couple times. We came damn close. You know, we came within seven points, ten points, four points in modern day, but um. No, I mean, it was definitely an advantage, but it was funny because a lot of those guys, like, just going back, thinking about, I mean, high school, dude, we had some studs. We had, like, eight or nine guys go D1 almost every year for two, three years in a row. And a lot of them, dude, they barely even had college careers, believe it or not. Injuries. Beat up. I believe you. Like, on our on our O-line, dude, like, I mean, you know. We had five, we had five O-linemen my freshman year on varsity when we won state. Every single one of them went D1, and really only one of them was able to make it through college just via um, 
you know, health. Because they were playing that caliber of ball, right? I mean, young, you know, at 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, given the, the caliber of play and all those, in, you know, studs on both sides of the ball for nearly every team in the conference, there had to have been every game, major coaches and scouts on the sideline. You assume that adds pressure no matter what year you are, no matter what stage in your recruiting kind of life you're in yet. That had to have added pressure. Mm. I mean, who were some of the guys you saw on the sideline? Well, like, how does that go when you when you pull up to your game and you recognize three SEC head coaches or whatever it was? I mean, Shaw, Coach P, that one game, like sophomore year, you had Kiffin out there. Some, I mean, honestly, like a lot of those games, I mean, you'll get, I mean, SC coaches, obviously, they're right here. UCLA, I mean, I. I don't want to say I saw like every big time coach, but at some point in that three year span from sophomore to senior year, if it wasn't at the game, right? Cause a lot of them, they got pretty tight schedules and it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be convenient with where they're playing, you know, just the timing cause they're in season two. Um, so like I, I, you would see a lot more coaches roll through in the springtime. Um, you know, and, and maybe during training camp or obviously you got the recruiting blocks when they're actually coming out hard. But, um, I mean, we saw we saw most of the Pac-12. Um, we I mean, Harbaugh flew in on a freaking helicopter to our high school <laughs> one day. Like, coach was like, hey, at the time he just took the job. Me and Dylan Crawford, I was already committed to Stanford. Dylan hadn't committed. Oh, no, actually – wasn't he committed somewhere? Didn't he flip? Am I remembering that? No, so, no, I hadn't committed yet. We were thinking about going to play together because he was like the number two guy in the country. I mean, I was, like we were at a lot of the same offers. And and um, Brady Hoke got fired from Michigan and Harbaugh took the job. And me and Dylan both got out. We went on this little circuit in, in springtime after our sophomore year. We went to Michigan, Florida. Florida State, Alabama, Tennessee, um, and Notre Dame, all in, like, spring break. Like, every day we went to a different spot. And uh, we both really liked Michigan. And Harbaugh knew that, apparently. And so he came – he was doing a camp in, like, Mission Viejo. But he came in on a helicopter and landed, um, like, right on top of our field and, like, came and rolled out and told me and Dylan that our scholarship still stood with uh, Michigan because we previously got him from Brady Hope. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. That's um, awesome. But I mean, you know, Harbaugh was doing all kinds of crazy stuff at that time. He was climbing trees and taking. He took. I remember he took Hutchinson to school in the morning. He showed up like past midnight. I believe it's Hutchinson, the dude who got drafted. Yeah. From Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. With um, the Lions. Yeah. Took him to school. I guess he couldn't start recruiting till twelve p.m. Right. Twelve oh one. And so he got there that night, hung out, slept there, and took him to school in the morning. <laughs> I, um, that but, guy's such a character. I mean, so on to oh, Sorry, but but in terms of your question of adding pressure playing with the coaches, I mean, at the end of the day, most of the time, it was like when there were scouts there in college. I mean, the only time I was like, whoa, this is actually a real deal was when uh, my senior year we lined up against uh, Herbert at Oregon. Oh, sorry, at Stanford. And there was like all 32, somebody from every 32 teams was there. 
and you can just yeah. like see them lined up in a row. And I was like, wow, like that's the first time I was like, okay, this is different than like seeing scouts around the area. It's at Stanford. Like we don't always necessarily just get this, you know, yeah. maybe Bama, Georgia, this is what it looks like. But KJ, did that affect you? Like, does that, were you playing better because of that? Or did your game drop a step? Oh, uh, well, I mean, typically for me, like how it's always been is just, I always play the best when I have like, the most adrenaline, the highest levels of cortisol, like what it means the gotcha. most. Um, that, that's honestly just how it's always been for me. Um, that particular game went down, great first drive, came down on a helmet, threw an inside fade, and fucking tore my RCL on my thumb. Like one of the, after that first drive was the worst game I played in my college career. Um, obviously, scouts, everyone knew that um, I was too prideful and too to come out of the game. But I could barely take a snap or, or grip the ball. I can barely throw 15 yards. I probably Shaw, Shaw afterwards told me for a really long time. Like, I'm like, hey, why didn't you take me out of the game? I mean, I couldn't even throw like a bubble screen. He's like, oh, I didn't. Want, he's like, I didn't want to tell you that I was going to take you out of the game. Like, I knew you didn't want to come out. So, I mean, that was probably the only time when, like, I don't know, that was because of injury. But in terms of the moment, I mean, the bigger the better for me. Um, it just kind of makes everything a little bit quieter. Um, at least thinking back on my career, like when I played my best games, it was typically the ones that meant the most. Uh, it was typically the Notre Dame game, you know, obviously yeah. uh, LSU and the Washingtons. Like when we played the best team um, was when I played my best game for the most part. But Okay, so let's lock in on, on the recruiting front here because this is yep. stuff that I think a lot of people – are interested in and I think I have a lot of probably wrong ideas about a lot of big ideas about but you don't know it until you hear it from someone who is really in that whole process and so tell me if I'm wrong on any of this I mean ultimately I think you ended up being a four-star recruit and like the second ranked the number two ranked pro style QB in the country coming out of high school by by the time it was all said and done and you broke all these records at Santa Margarita went to the elite 11 but before high school ended obviously and you were long committed you got your first offer from the then reigning national champs at florida state who had just yeah. won with Jameis. like describe the feelings that come with that being your first offer yeah i mean it was crazy how that went down i mean basically after my sophomore year um i put together a highlight tape back in the day when we used to be able to start our plays on huddle put it together send it out to like Anyone that I knew of, you know, I mean, uh, my dad, believe it or not, had a friend. He played at Crescent Valley High School in L.A. and knew somebody who was the tight end coach. His name was Tim Brewster at Florida State. Sent him the tape and thought nothing of it because I probably sent 50 to 100 emails with with, uh, the huddle link included. And um, I remember, like, maybe two, three weeks after the season ended, um, I was like, oh, there was a lot of good in that season for sure. Um, but there was also like some shit that I had to grow on and get better for the next year. I didn't really know where I sat in the spectrum of, um, you know, the recruitment, the, uh, the recruitment arena. Mm-hmm. So anyways, like two, three weeks after the season, Tim Brewster, uh, from Florida state calls me and he's like, Hey man, we watched your tape. You know, there's only a couple sophomores that we got our eye on early. Um, we'd love to come out there and see you this spring. 
Um, Jimbo, watch your tape. He wants to offer you now, but he wants me to come out there and see you live and make sure that uh, the tape matches um, you throwing live. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I guess, you know, I guess I got a chance to play college football. So right then and there, I was like done with basketball, done with baseball. That's a whole other story. It's funny how it gets young and then you end up just focusing in on one sport. But like a month later, um, like 6 a.m., like I had obviously slowly been talking to coaches and under the radar, right, there was doing footage of some guys and they ended up doing something to me and like, I don't know, like guys, it, like a little bit of, um, a little bit of good stuff started coming out, but then all of a sudden, like, it was sophomore spring. It was before school, like 6 a.m. I get a call from from uh, uh, Tim Brewster. Hey, it's Jimbo Fisher. I'm like, oh, Jimbo, how's it going? Um, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, I just got out of bed. I'm trying to get to school uh, this morning, um, but I'm in no rush. How you doing? And um, he basically was like, hey, man, we were thinking about holding off, coming to see you throw live, but we want to get ahead of the game, and we want to be your first offer. Uh, Florida State, we want to be your first offer. So you got off for Florida State. I remember, like, obviously being stoked, running into my parents' room, waking them up, and being like, hey, you know, I think I might be able to play some college ball. Um, But so first offer was Florida State, and it's crazy. I feel like I kind of came up early in, like, the social media era. Now it's obviously way different than it was then. But, like, posted that on social media, and then uh, Tennessee called me the next morning at, like, 7 a.m. when I'm in class. One of the, I walk out, I got to go to the bathroom and coach from Tennessee, uh, at the time. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on, his, uh, Jones, Butch Jones. Butch Jones. Uh, I was going to say, was it Butch? Was that before, after his time? Yeah. yeah Butch nope, Jones. it was Butch Jones. So then it was Tennessee <clears throat> and then it was Miami, like three days in a row. Um, and by Miami I actually came by the school. So anyways, it was Florida state, Tennessee, Miami was my first three offers and I was pretty fired up about it. And then from there, like, opened up when the coaches could come out and start stopping by school. Um, and I don't know, that offseason ended up, you know, building up 15, 20 offers um, before I even uh, went in. Well, that also included coaches I was talking to that wanted to see me live, and I did take the initiative and fly out there. It was kind of a deal of, like, if you showed interest and you flew out, like, you were going to leave with an offer. Um, that's kind of how at least the sense was, you never know with, with these coaches, but, um, that's at least what it was. Cause I did it a couple of times. And, and so that, that was kind of the sophomore off season was traveling to schools that were on my wish list of, of, um, schools that I wanted to be or have an opportunity to, to make a decision to, to commit to. Um, and it's sure enough, Stanford, my freshman year, I'm hanging out in the football offices. I had a good freshman year, and then the uh, the coach pulls me up for varsity just to like hang out, right, and go to play to the playoff games and like travel with the team. And um, coaches start rolling through the building, um, and like I remember seeing Coach Bloomgren and Coach Tav and Coach Alomar when I was a freshman in our football offices, and like, hey man, we heard you know you're. You know, you're, you're supposed to be uh, leading the squad next year. Um, would love you to come out to Stanford in a camp. I'm like, oh, when? They're like, oh, no, like after this year. So that I went out there literally after my freshman year in like February or March. 
for a camp there in off season. And it was the first camp I ever went to and attended. Um, and that was interesting because when I left there, they're like, Hey, we think you're going to have a busy sophomore or we, we think you're going to have a busy off season next year. Um, and I was like, Oh, wow, I guess I am going to have a chance of playing college ball. Cause I didn't know where I sat, you know, you're playing, we were like three or four in league and like, I don't know. I thought I was doing all right. I didn't even play the varsity snap. So anyways, flash forward to like through sophomore year, by the time I was going into my junior season, I kind of had an offer from every school that I was really interested in. Um, you know, there was, there was a couple that I didn't, but it just, it didn't, I never visited or never went out to. Um, but for me, it was kind of like, I'm, California kid, UCLA was on the table, SC was on the table, Stanford was on the table, Cal was on the table. It was like them and then Bama and and, um, uh, Michigan that I was like most interested in. Um, I thought the SEC and those spots were cool, but like a kid, a Southern California kid jumping into that scene, um, there's some things that like I just, I didn't think it would be a good idea to uh, randomly jump into a culture that you don't know much, much about. Um, but anyways, lo and behold, it ended up being those four, uh, Stanford, Michigan, um, Alabama and SC. And honestly, I was, now I could say candidly, but like, I was a huge SC fan growing up. Carson Palmer went to Santa Margarita. Uh, I was the the ball boy there every chance I could get growing up. Um, and my mom went to SC and uncles, everyone went to SC. It was, it seemed as like that was where everyone expected me to go. Um, and to be quite honest, it was just because of the coaching situation. They had Kiffin there, who when I went on campus, I met him. And then it was Coach Orgeron. And then it was Sark. And then I'm talking to Sark junior year. And he's like, hey, dude, come on, let's do this. And then I'm like, all right, well, give me a little bit of time. Then he gets fired. And then Helton takes over. Um, so there was just so much turnover and like yeah. SC for the first time was kind of uh you know I don't want to say flatline but like they were hanging out in a world where like it didn't seem like they had the whole thing figured out not the and same glitz I, and glamour that they once had I thought it was a weird period <clears throat> for sure yeah it, it was and then and then you got uh Stanford who's going one two Rose Bowls in what three four years and and then that year my uh never forget it was like Right after my junior season, um, we missed or we lost first round of the playoffs. And then I was in I was uh, in the mountains with the family skiing, and I had the Rose Bowl on. And uh, Coach Shaw called me the morning of the Rose Bowl before they played Iowa. Um, and I was like, okay, like this is pretty sweet. And then they went on and won like 55 to 17 or something crazy. Um, and I was like, yeah, like this is this is where I'm gonna put my future. They're winning. I go to NorCal, get out of Southern Cal, get out of LA. Um, you know, the the distractions that LA could potentially come with, and go check out what's going on in in the Valley up in uh, Northern California. So, in a nutshell, that's a bit of like the recruiting process for me, um, and how it ended up. You know, taking a SoCal kid to NorCal. KJ, can you can you back us up a little bit in terms of like, so you got all these coaches coming after you, right? Saban at Bama, Harbaugh at Michigan, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. Like, what 
are they calling you every day? Are they texting you, checking in every couple of days? Like for somebody that just doesn't know, you know, yeah. kind of the ins, kind of the inside scoop on that recruiting situation. Like, what's that? I think uh, something I realized along the way um, when you're kind of talking about like parsing through the noise and like who's actually really invested in and believes in you and verse uh, kind of saying the recruiting coach speak, you know, over and over again. Because, like, for example, Alabama offered 10 guys, the quarterbacks. Florida State offered 10 guys, quarterbacks. Uh, SC offered three initially for my class, Shape Patterson, Lee Henry, and me, which I wasn't stoked about, to be honest, because I'm the SoCal kid. It was where I wanted to go. And they kind of off Sark, I think, like made a bit of a mistake just looking back on it because he offered both of them at the same time. And it was kind of like where I wanted, like they knew it was kind of where I wanted to go. And um, you got none of you after all that, huh? <laughs> exactly, because yeah. he put the pressure on basically saying his, his deal was it was first come, first serve. I would like any one of you three. And he was trying to lock some guy in, right? And so that's like one style is like not a ton of communication, but then all of a sudden he offers us three because they came a little later. Some of the, some of the schools that like, you know, SC came later, um, Stanford came later. And, and I started to realize this trend of like Florida state, Tennessee, SEC, much more aggressive. Like let's throw out 300 offers, you know, in one class, I went and looked up all these guys they offered. And, like, they're offering 10 quarterbacks. If you go up and down the list, I mean, 300 offers in one class, and you can take 25, 30 guys. I mean, you're not going to be in constant communication with these guys, right? It's kind of just like they kind of – they sit in a position where they feel like they're going to get the best at the end of the day, but they sure as hell don't want to miss on anybody. So it's funny because, like, they offer 300 guys, but, like, let's say one of us – in the, uh, you know, sophomore, end of sophomore year, junior year, not that good a year, they don't really think as highly of you, wanted to call up, you probably call up uh, your quarterback coach first or the or the OC, the guy recruiting you the most, like, hey, man, I'm getting hot. I think I want to pull the trigger. And, like, there's plenty of stories of the coaches um, preventing that from happening or just kind of not giving you the right signals, you know, and, like, they're ready to accept your verbal commitment. So, like, I feel like that's kind of Alabama's world and and uh, Florida State and, like, when those the big dogs up top, um, especially early on, you know. But now uh, the communication cadence with, like, a Stanford was like, hey, man, like, our plan is to only offer one guy in each class. Um, and at the time, they were – Josh Rosen – who was the number one guy in the country in 2015, really wanted to go to Stanford. And it's funny how the dominoes fall because, like, Rosen goes to UCLA, Darnold goes to SC. Was KJ less inclined to go to UCLA or SC because they were there? A little bit. I mean, granted, they had a good career. They're going to be there three years, so I'm going to be starting to tell them at least a redshirt sophomore, you know? But Stanford, they were going after Rosen and Wimbush, who went to Notre Dame. And they missed on kind of both of them. But I also, while they were recruiting them, was like, hey, if you guys don't want to take a guy in 15, I mean, 
we can we can we can make it you know we can make a deal and we can get this thing rolling because if there's nobody there in 15 and the next quarterback who was already there was Keller or whatever who was like a freshman but the time I got there would be like a junior and I knew for a fact that I was going to get two years of real starting uh, opportunity because you never know what's going to come behind you but at least looking forward if we were talking about opportunity to play I was like at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. I mean, there's so many guys. Oh, I'm a five-star. I'm top two. I'm going to Georgia. I'm going to Tennessee. You'd be you'd be blown away at the numbers of, like, top high school guys that really never never touched the dance floor in college. Like, it, it, it really surprised you or get in a transfer pattern. And this was before the transfer portal. Now you can kind of – you don't have to be as uh, – you didn't have to be as spot on with your initial commitment. Because right. for me, I was uh, mentally, I wasn't going to transfer. There was no way. Like, where I was going to go, like, that's where I was going to go, and that's how I was looking at the decision. The current landscape's changed. I mean, shit, you can go make a little riskier decision, go to a little different school, and if you don't like the smell or taste of it, you know, you can you can ship out of there on, like, a day and a half, five-day notice, basically. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, whether that's good or bad, who knows, but that's the current landscape. Um, so I don't know when you're talking about the communication patterns with Stanford, they were very one-on-one. Like they were only, they said they only wanted to offer one guy. So they held the offer from me. Like I had all these other offers, but I didn't have Stanford and they basically didn't want to offer me until I gave them that signal that like, you know, I was kind of on board because their goal was to offer and close the deal. Now I didn't close it right away. A lot of people do do that. I hung on to it for six months because I was still um, really thinking. Now, what's funny is USC offered me, and they knew I loved SC. And so then Shaw fired back like a week or two later when he was kind of figuring out he only wanted to offer one guy. So that's kind of what happened with me. Um, It's funny, KJ. It's funny how you you mentioned, you know, you said you see how the dominoes fall. It's, I mean, it is something that, like, you pull a thread, and it can just go forever when you think about, where guys decided to go, where people flipped, where offers were pulled, where people didn't academically qualify, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that may have happened with Brandon Wimbush at Stanford. Yeah, yeah. So, literally, I mean, I think of it, you you know, you think of like a sliding door moment in your life. Uh, you, You talk about cutting, you know, somewhat negotiating and saying, well, you know, if you really, looks like this Wimbush thing's not gonna work out, if you guys are really not gonna take a QB and 2015, then maybe I will be your guy. You know, that's a lot more yeah. appealing to me. If they had taken a QB in 2015, they would not have had a depth chart issue at Stanford, and your boy would have never ended up going to Stanford. <laughs> it's true. I've thought Brent, about it many you times. A, you would have been at Princeton if you went at Stanford. So shut I would, But it changes the trajectory of your life either way. Maybe I would have <laughs> no, gone totally, to Princeton. Totally. You know, that's, I thought I was going to play in the Ivy League, and that was what I was set on. And then out of nowhere, I got DM'd by Coach Picasso and Tavita saying, for the first time in many years, we're taking a, a preferred walk-on QB. Are you interested? I was like, yes. But um, <laughs> anyway, it's just it's wild how it really is just a, the, the live recruiting landscape is just this giant chessboard that guys, you know, you can say, I'm just focusing on myself. I'm just focusing on myself. I'm not worried about the noise. It actually, it it is to your benefit as the recruit to keep your eye on the chessboard 
and to actually understand what our guys thinking. So I don't know, did you have any conversation with, I remember, I mean, I, as a guy way, way down that list in the, in the national QB rankings, I, I knew everyone, I knew all the big names. And yeah. so between, I mean, Jacob Eason, yeah. uh, Shea Patterson, as you mentioned, um, Shane Bouchelle, Malik Buschel, Henry, Malik Henry Buschel, Felipe Franks, Jack uh, Allison. Yeah, Jack. I, I, I know all those guys, which is cool because of the Clarkson deal. We and Elite 11, I would assume. Yes. Yes, Elite 11, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there was, there was text messages sent um, from me to Shea Patterson. Um, like, yo, dude, like, I know we just all got offered at the same time. Um, but, like, what's the deal? Are you serious about you're, – you're from uh, – shit, he's from Pennsylvania. He's from Is- – yeah. Is he? Is he no, originally no, from sorry, Pennsylvania? Sorry, I think he's Southern. Louisiana. Yeah, he's Louisiana. Louisiana. Sorry, yeah, Louisiana. Sorry, I'm Louisiana. sorry. Um, he's from Louisiana. Uh, he's going to get mad that I didn't know that. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, if he ever listens to this. But um, no, I remember there was text messages sent like, hey, dude, like, what are you, between me and you, like, let's not, let's, none of us make an unrational, emotional, knee-jerk decision because we want to prevent the the dominoes of the chessboard from falling um, too soon, you know? Some form of communication has to be beneficial to both parties in that case. Exactly. You don't want to catch anyone off guard and in... It it really was. It was like, I mean, did I lose you? Can you hear me, Tyler? I can hear you. Yeah, it was like, um, it was like neither of us wanted to commit before we wanted to commit. You know, and so if we could get a little bit better intel, like I'll give you an example. I was I was stressed out um, on my trip to the South and Midwest because this was all around the talk of the 2015 deal. Because uh, Coach Bloomgren wanted to know, um, like he wanted he wanted to lock me in, you know, and totally. I I wanted to go see. This was after my or my sophomore year because I almost committed before my junior season because you get so excited. So my sophomore year, I went um, – I set up a trip on spring break to go to Michigan, like I said earlier, Florida, Florida State, Alabama, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. And I remember mentioning to Bloom, like, hey, this is what I'm going to go do. While I was doing that on spring break – they were having a all the juniors, the 2015 junior quarterback weekend, Brent. You know, they bring everybody in. And so they had Wimbush there. They had Eason there. And they had um, – I might be blanking on two other guys, but some studs. And he was basically playing the game of like, hey, like, we might, we might lock in a guy this weekend in 2015. And I know that you're really serious and you mentioned about not getting a 2015 guy – if you go on this trip and you go date around elsewhere and go yep. figure it out, then we got to pursue a 15. Yep. And I'm like, shit. I'm like, am I really not going to go enjoy this process and like get cuffed up before I even play my junior season? I mean, I wanted to go see Alabama. I wanted to go see Michigan. I wanted to go see. And I was just like, damn. I mean, I guess in a dating situation, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, but I'm going to go, you know, 
check check these other places out that I've watched on TV for years and thought were really cool places um, to potentially be a part of. And so I took, I rolled the dice a bit on that, but I remember I was super nervous the whole time. And you're right, Wim Rosen, honestly, between us, didn't get an offer. Um, there was well, there was Shaw was out. Shaw was kind of. You hear the stories. I mean, I mean, oh, he had he's... he was KJ. He was unbelievable in high school throwing the ball. Dude, he, like he was, he was sick. He was he was. I saw him at ball. seven he, on seven. He threw the ball as good or better than Peyton Manning when he was like. Seventeen years old. Because I like literally that's not really an exaggeration. Let's call it what it is. You call a spade a spade. We go back to sophomore year. The reporter asked Rosen, "Hey, you're playing San Margarita this week? Playoff contentions or league contentions? It was for league. Um, Quarterback on the other side, Costello, sophomore, similar stature to what you were coming up as a sophomore. What do you think he has played? Whatever." And he goes. Who are you talking about? I don't know who you're talking about. Or something of that nature. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, so I, I told my boy, I think he would regret a lot of how he went about life then. I don't like, I think he was, he was basically just put on a, such a pedestal at such a young age that like he thought he was bulletproof, right? He thought he was like invincible. And I don't know. I think that's something a lot of guys who get to that point. And, you know, I remember times when I had to like check myself. You know, and like that's a real thing. But he was like, Terrible. he he wasn't he wasn't um, con- uh, conceptualizing the reactions and like the disdain that people were getting from what he was saying. Yeah, you know, and I get it. He's a been having three, four quarterbacks. Like, is that something that you were especially privy to, or is that something that everybody's looking at? Because. Oh, I mean, as Brent, because as Brent, as, Brent, as, Brent, yeah. as Brent mentioned, like, like, at what point are you like? I don't give a fuck. I don't like I, I Dude, like see, I'm, I'm I mean, gonna go. I'm gonna go wherever I want, and I'm gonna win out. Like, at, yeah, like how yeah. big? How big of a factor is that? Dude, that's a good question because there was a lot of there was a lot of times where there was that side of me that said exactly that. I don't give a if Deshaun Watson's plan, but like he's already starting to establish that's a, that's a bad example. But like for example, Darnold at SC, yeah. Right? He was going to SC, and I remember sitting at a stand, at a USC practice with Darnold. It was me and him, and he hadn't committed yet. Neither had I. And um, and I know Darnold pretty well now, but this was a pretty cool story back in the day. We both looked at each other, and you know, between us, was like who they had playing at the time. But they had Ricky Town there, and yeah, I remember Ricky Town. And we're yeah. like, dude, let's. He's like. Dude, I'm rolling to SC. I'm like, dude, I, I, I might go to SC. He's like, let's both come in here and compete it out. Like, kind of joking, you know? And he was a year ahead of me. So, like, you know, you do have a little bit of leverage. Like, if you're going to compete ahead. I mean, Davis Mills sure as hell didn't care that I committed to Stanford. But I think way more guys now. I, I think I'm an outlier in looking at it like a bit of, like, risk analysis, right? Of, like, hey, I want to be in a situation because I believe in myself. And a lot of success in this world in college football relies on timing and a lot of things outside of your control. So the thing, the, 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 the things that I could necessarily have control over was going into a situation when there, where there would be a need for somebody like myself to step in, not to say I was scared to go in another direction um, and go a class behind 
who knows, a Burrow or some guy like that. I don't know if he was my class or I'm trying to think ahead. Oh, go go to UCLA, right? Behind Rosen. Yeah, easy I mean, one. Go go to USC behind Darnold. I mean, those were the two schools that I was looking at pretty hard, right? And if you think about it in long run, if shit played out really well for them, they started a true freshman-ish. They're out of there in three years, and I'm a year behind them. But if they played three full seasons, that would technically, with a redshirt, leave me three years. But you just you don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, you could get in a situation where, you know, you're behind a guy for for three years, you yeah. know. Um, and there's there's a lot of guys previously in the past that that's happened to, and I didn't really want to take that risk. You know, being out of the sport, being out of the playing that game for three years in 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 a game. Yeah. There's no preseason. You know, um, I know there's a lot of guys that have or did lose their edge in that in that experience. And I was like, hey, when Hogan's gone, I'm in here. I honestly, I'm gonna try and play as a freshman here. People thought I was psycho because it was like the hardest offense in, on planet Earth to learn. I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe Frank could attest that. And I thought I was a <laughs> I guy. fully agree. We'll get to, KJ. We'll get right into that. I'm gonna talk I mean, about hey, that for hey, sure. Hey, like. Uh, Stanford uh, base play, green right wing tight, Z short, 96 power, kill 95 weak, alert, 200 jet dragon. Mississippi State. That's on the docket. That's on the docket. Don't worry. That's on the docket for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Hey, give me outs with mesh. You know what I'm saying? If you swing left or right, I'll tell you where to go. Let's play. Yeah, exactly. So that that was like a little bit of barrier to entry to play as a true freshman. But I knew that. I, re- I mean, granted, Keller was a good player, and the guy was a hell of a like athlete in general, and, like just a smart physical dude. stud. Dude's just like a Navy SEAL. Like yep. he was just an absolute like stallion. Like I also didn't like- QB in the QB room too. Same deal. Oh, I'm talking. Oh, he's not a Navy SEAL now. I'm saying the way he trained and the way he went about his business. The guy was working as hard or harder than anyone else in college football. I got a lot of respect for him. Like he was. He was that kind of guy. So yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't know if I picked, like, the best situation to walk in. A lot of guys, when I walked in, they're like, oh, you're coming here after Keller. He was here in 14. Like, yeah, you know, you'll ride the pine for two, three years. A huge recruit himself, you know? Yeah. Huge number recruit two, himself. Number four yeah. guy. He'll, he'll go to the NFL, and then you'll step in later. And I was like, no, no. Like, I decided not to go to other schools because that's what I thought. But here I thought otherwise. So when push comes to shove, there is – a certain like point where you got to drop the cojones and be like, I want to go where I want to go. And, and I trust in, in how things are going to fall into place. Um, I, you know, I think about it. I think about, you know, there's life after ball and there's a lot of other things that came into play. The, you know, there's the 40 year decision, not a four, you know, that Stanford sells us on. And, and we're going to realize that over our next 40 years and already have. And like, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that comes along with there, there's a lot of metrics that went into making that decision. That wasn't just football. Right. If it was just football, I might've just canned it up and, and went to Bama, you know what right. I'm saying? Canned it up and try to go to Georgia. And that's why like, it's interesting looking back on it. Um, but being from out here, I don't know, man, like I was planning on playing or spending the majority of my life probably on the West coast. You know, so having like that tie to 
to the West Coast, and I'm from Southern Cal, and then went to school in NorCal, so most of California, like, it feels like very much home for me, and will feel like that for the rest of my life. So there was a lot of things that went into it um, outside of just like, hey, all I do is play football, and I'm going to go, you know, go yeah, to Bama. I mean, sure. I as much as I at the time, maybe it's just because like pops brainwashed me, and a lot of other people brainwashed me in a good way. That like, hey, dude. You, you don't know when this thing's going to end. And, and I had a – I would line up my injury list fucking against anybody in America, you know, over over a 20-year career. Um, We're going to get to general. that too. We're like, going to get to that too. Weird. I want to make sure we that's cover that. That's what it is. But, I'm, you know, that's – so there's there's a lot that went into that decision. Um, but ultimately, like, they were also hot at the time. You know, there's there's a little bit of ethos there. They had just come off a couple of Rose Bowls. I mean, my dream was to play in the Rose Bowl at least – before thinking about NFL, grandparents still alive, 94 years old, 93, but at the time they were like 89. Good for that. Have them come Good to a them. game in the Rose Bowl with all of my Southern Cal friends and all my SC friends at the Rose Bowl. Like, that's, that's awesome. why I, I wanted to play in the Rose Bowl. You know, so yeah. I would have to go to the Big Ten. For sure. Or I would have to go to the to the Pac-12. And then you had Darnold at SC, you had Rosen at UCLA, and you had nobody in 15 at Stanford, and it just seemed like the right move to I'm gonna. I know. I know. I know. Tyler has a question for you. This will be a good handoff to this next question. The first time that I met you in any Stanford uh, setting was my, you know, unofficial visit. Having gotten my preferred walk-on offer, where they're like, "No, yeah. really, we need you to get into school. Like, you need to, you know, don't don't mail it in on your app. But really, this could be, you could be a part of this program." And they're like, you need to come up for a game and, you know, you'll stay with a player. And I stayed with Jay Tyler, who I had a mutual yeah. friend with. And, uh, and I went up for the Notre Dame game. And, yeah. and you were, I think you were there. You were there. Yeah, and yeah. and when, when a ton Conrad of guys were the there. And Conrad, exactly. Conrad hits yeah. a game winner in what might have been the best Stanford football game of the last decade. And, you know, rushed the field and beat number, oh, number three Notre Dame, number six Notre Dame. It was, I mean, it was a huge, it was a very, there was so much momentum. And I remember being on that visit and, you know, just, just being like, wow, this is so unbelievable. And you're in the locker room after the game and, you know, Conrad's just been carried off the field and there's Christian McCaffrey, there's Hogan. Like it was, you know, things were, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, so did I. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) It was great. But anyway, that was just like a little, one recruiting experience with with a lot of momentum, it was tough to turn away from. Yeah, yeah, and and that's obviously important, right? Like, um, and this is com- being completely candid because, like, I always do remind people. They always talk about why you understand. Why would you understand? But I'm like, guys, like it was a legit powerhouse program. Like they were pumping, and I was a football addict. Like the whole think about life after football, this and that. Now, like, yes, that played a part in it. But, like, I really thought we could go there, win the Pac-12 every year, you know yep. what I'm saying, and go to the Rose Bowl. Yep. And, and and things really start clicking, and we continue to progress on this trajectory. We get in the we get in the playoff. playoff. I mean, yeah. if you're planning on spending the majority of your life out here and I think going, going, to, going to school where you're, where you're, you know, planning on spending the majority of your time, I mean, what, what what would be going to school in Alabama and coming back? You don't know what uh, you're getting into, you know? Like, I mean, maybe – I know you're, you're boy, your buddies with Eason, right? I mean, or at least, yes. you know, knew each other at one point. Maybe you still are. But uh, I talked to him this week. 
Well, there you go. So he, yeah. I mean, he went from Lake Stevens to Athens, Georgia. Like that's an example, you know. Like, and and I know it didn't pan out. It didn't pan out the way he probably planned with Fromm and with everything that went down on the field. But probably off the field, it is also just it's a freaking culture shock when you're shock when you're maybe a 17 year old early enrollee, and you're as far as you could be from Washington State in down in Georgia. He was like blown away. That, like, this world existed kind of deal, you know? And he was like, dude, like, I mean, not, I'm, like, I'm a recruit walking around the town and, like, everybody knows who I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, he had, didn't even know that existed, being 17, 18 years old. You know, I mean, if you don't go to the – I mean, i never been to, to, to an Iron Bowl. i never been to, you know, Georgia-Bama uh, game. I've never been to um, – you know, hey, I've never been to any of those games. So you yeah. don't really know what that culture looks like. Um, and I de- that's why I wanted to go on that damn visit. I I will say things might have been a little different. You obviously get tied down with your high school schedule. If I went to a Michigan football game, you know what I'm saying? I went to a Bama. I did go to a Bama game, but I was already committed. I just went and they played like Florida Atlantic. But it, it was still a really cool experience to kind of see the whole deal. And KJ, one one last point on on the recruiting front. I mean, you know, I know you're getting recruited by all these top schools. You chose kind of where you were going to take your OVs. You go to these schools. What was the biggest moment where you were like, like who pulled out the red carpet the most? Because like I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, maybe Saban, but also like he's the least desperate, right? Like, who pulled out the the red carpet the most on those official visits? And was there a moment where you were just like, holy shit? Like, you hear these stories, right? Like, okay, guys getting going to clubs, getting strippers, money money bags dropped on their doorstep. I was already – I was so you take your officials. Uh, when is it, Brent? Is it after your senior season or before? It's no, a I, little think, bit before. I, I, I think it's, dur- it's during your senior season because you go for game days, right? Oh, oh uh, yeah, I, but I'm trying to think when the cutoff is. Like – you can't start taking them until you're a senior. So all my stuff was unofficial. There's nothing much different than an unofficial and official outside of it's on your dime. Well, there is a lot different. You stay at a really nice hotel and everything's taken care of for you. You know, you stay down at the Rosewood for Stanford or whatever. I only go. took there one official. Go. It was it was with Stanford, you know. And, um, I mean, you know, I had a great time. You know, I mean, it was, it was a good time. <laughs> um, Shaw showed you a good time. The, the mass exodus. Out of the program, versus I mean, versus us not allowing, not bringing in transfers, like we we had no access to the transfer portal, so people players can only flow out of our program, not into, and, and that's um, part that's primarily due to the admissions obstacle, right? Primarily, that's one hundred thousand percent. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. It's yeah. the admissions office. Stanford will not take another student from another school transferring in unless it's a grad transfer who's a who was a badass student at another uh, university. And there's, I don't know too many badass students at another university that want to, that are top players in college football that want to transfer. I don't know if Caleb Williams was a, you know, four Oh student that, uh, you know, wanted to grad transfer to Stanford. Right. Um, So I, I I don't think those exist in the world. Uh, No, anything, anything where you were like, okay, that shows like the insider track to like how ridiculous recruiting can be. No, I mean, I'll give you a little story. This one's pretty cool. I mean, 
this was this was um, a little bit of everything. So I go, I pull out to Michigan. Um, I'm talking to Coach Nuss Meyer, who's now the quarterback coach of the Cowboys. Um, he was the offense coordinator for Michigan, and he was Brady Hoke's right hand man. He was a stud, great recruiter, spent a lot of time in the league. He was actually under Saban at one point at Bama, like very high respected, great recruiter. And we pulled up, me and my dad pulled up out there, and actually uh, Dylan Crawford, who went to my high school, um, and then I brought like my trainer at the time, um, who rolled with us too, and then Dylan's dad. And we show up, and um, we're like going through uh, their Hall of Fame, and it's all great. And I'm rolling around with Brady Hoke and Nussmeyer, and like there's uh, some other guys taking around another kid. Well, that kid ended up being Malik Henry, you know, who was me and him were number one, number two in the country, whatever, debatable. And I'm like, are you shitting me? We're here the same day. Like they 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 line this thing up to get us both out here on the same day. What's going on? And we were in aggressive talks. Like they were pushing me, and I was telling them like. Like I'm, I'm Michigan's up there. Like it's in the top three for me. Like I sure as hell don't want to lose the opportunity. So stay up to date with me on how things are going with the other cues, you know? Cause like, if you're really, if I'm really your first guy, like let you better let me know when that thing's heating up on the other end. Cause I don't want to miss the opportunity. And they would always say, yes, you know, they're going to keep you up. But sure enough, me and Malik Henry are on campus at the same time. And so they're like, Hey guys, um, you guys trying to work out and I'm like, yeah, you know, I got Dylan here. He's my wide out. I like, yeah, well, let's go throw it in the big house. Let's go throw it around in the big house. <laughs> Me, Dylan, my boy, my dad, trainer, his dad, Malik Henry and his dad. We all get cleated up, get dressed in the freaking locker room, jerseys, everything up top, the history of the big house. <laughs> I'm putting my spikes on and it's like, I'm going to war with Malik Henry because we both, had publicly said Michigan was in our top, right? And um, it was, dude, they kind of had us battle it out. It was like, if both of you guys wanted to, let's see who's meant to be a Wolverine type. I, I mean, they had a camera like on a tripod, like right behind the workout, like big ass camera, which it was kind of interesting because it was like, you thought whoever committed, they were going to take anyhow. But I think this was just coaches trying to get creative, right? And like, have one of us have like a euphoric moment and do better than the other and be like, let's go. I'm going to Michigan. I have no fucking clue, but <laughs> that's kind of what it seemed like. Anyways, long story short, the record will say, and it is true. I get in there with my wide out, but he also caught for Malik Henry and I'm just, dude, it's a windy day in the big house. Like it's blowing and they're trying to see if we can throw in the wind, no dome. And I'm, I'm like fired up once again, big moment. Like, I'm, I'm letting it rip. And, you know, Malik Henry, about 25 minutes through the workout, dad comes in. He's like, hey, he's he's been throwing like three or four days at this camp the last couple of days. Like, he's got to call it. You've seen enough. So Malik Henry essentially taps out of the workout. He basically leaves early, like does his thing and like leaves. And we end up hanging out. Nuss is like, all right, we're going to dinner tonight. So Nuss picks me and my dad up at a hotel, blacked out, like caddy, sick car. Really cool. Um, took us down to dinner. Like, dad's drinking beers with coach. Like, we're just hanging out. And I would have loved to have been drinking beers, but I was sipping on some, some lemonade or some bullshit. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no beers? No just, beers? They don't, they, they don't like you. Eh, I think if I went back, knowing how it is, I probably would have. 
Um, but anyways, that was pretty cool. I mean, dude, you never know nowadays. Like, yeah, they can't pay for dinner. They can't do this. They can't do that. That was like a, yeah, yeah. a full on. They did like, it was like everything was, everything was taken care of. Um, it was a good, good night. And I was, I left there like, damn, like Michigan's dope. Nussmeyer's dope. And, uh, they're going to sit in the top three and we're going to fly home and figure it out. So, I mean, I don't know how deep you want me to get in, in like stories of good times. Go, let's talk through Stanford and let's get to Mississippi State and let's talk Leach because I know that there's going to yeah. be more to come out on the Leach yeah. side. But we got to hit on Stanford because obviously what we've been building up to with all this through, you know, youth, high school, recruiting, all these visits, you end up choosing Stanford, obviously. And Stanford yeah. doesn't do early enrollment. So you can't get there a semester early. Um, or you can't start anyway. Um, I think that they may have actually just recently changed that, but at our time anyway, that was not the case. Um, and I'll, and having gone there same year as you, I can firmly say Stanford is a very unique place. I think to say the least, um, in some really good ways and other ways. Unique. Are, what do you mean? What do you mean by unique? Some ways that are just plain weird. Like no, uh, some, oh no, I know, I know, I hear. You. So, yeah, Brett, come on, come on, shed some light. So. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce it to KJ. What was your first impression of life at Stanford? And what would be, I guess it's a two-parter, but what would be like your one-sentence description of the Stanford experience looking back in retrospect? Oh, man. My first impression, well, first impression of Stanford? Because like my preconceived notions of Stanford was that it was the, it was, it was, it was the university that had the highest concentration of wealth, thought, and ideas, like in one place, right? Top mm-hmm. five university in the world. Um, is that straight out of Is that straight out of Shaw's mouth or yours? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you asked, listen. You asked me why, why why I went to Stanford, and you know, I obviously knew I was going to play football, but like along the way, there's a lot of other things that that, that I'm keen about and like capture my attention outside one, of just playing football. KJ, one thing on that note. In, within the recruiting cycle, something that the football team does strategically, there are like Silicon Valley legends talking to prospective players. You get to talk to Condoleezza Rice. I remember I talked to George Foster, who run, who's a Stanford Business School professor. Like they expose you as a high schooler to some big wig people very quickly. And I think that for this, for the right Stanford profile or for the right recruiting profile, that is a big pull. Because it's really cool, the people they put you in front of. Dude, I mean, a couple of my, like, best relationships at Stanford, obviously, with Dr. Rice, Carmelisa Rice being my advisor, Holly Sai. Yep. Um, and then George Foster taking two classes in the uh, in the business grad school with Sam Hankey, the former GM of the uh, 76ers, and yep. going through a 10-week course of every CEO, former GM, former owner of a team, whether it was the Niners owner, Jed York, or whether it was the San Francisco Giants owner, or whether it was you, like you could go up and down the deck. Like that ended up being my experience. Like I remember George Foster talking about business sports management when I was sitting down at a faculty um, recruit dinner or lunch. And I remember going up to him and just saying hello. Hence the reason why two years later, maybe I started playing halfway decent and I sent him an email and he gets me in his class. He said first impression, which my first impression of Stanford, there's preconceived notion. 
And then there was first impression after freshman year. And so my preconceived notions was like, this is what it like, this is what it's been built up to be. I first got there and I was, you know, freshman year at Stanford, a lot of people struggle. Like it's like they're, they're, they're ultimately extremely high achievers and they're ultimately like call them what you will. But like a lot of attention typically has came to them in their past, especially quarterback in high school. Right. You know, the story, Brent. So like, um, a lot of people go there and, and early on realize that it's not what they thought it was, you know, and me, I set out on my journey after freshman year, I didn't play, I wasn't the guy. And I was like, just so humbled by nature. My freshman doormates are asking me why I leave every Thursday or Friday. Um, if I'm, they're asking, I'm in a Stanford sweatsuit <laughs> and they're asking me if I'm already working at Google or a former startup. You know, and I'm like, no, I play football, blah, 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 this, right? So you get, that's, that's like, you say first impression of actually being there. It's like, wait, holy shit. Like, this is a place where nobody really cares about, you know, who you were before you got here. And so then I set out on my journey. Like, I flipped the script. It was always about me growing up in high school and people asking me this and that. And the questions get repetitive, right? And it's like, but when I got there, I set out on a journey to, to understand everybody's everybody's story that I met. I tried to understand the most people's stories, you know, where they came from, what they were studying. You know, I got there freshman year, didn't really see that, but was more bummed because I wasn't looking for it. I was looking to be the guy. Like a lot of guys forget when you're in high school, top crew in the country, you're going to school, you still believe that that's kind of what it's going to feel like. Like why would why would playing high school football feel more why would you feel more um, juice playing high school football than being a freshman quarterback at Stanford next in line? But it's that was a, the case. Like it's, it's, it's a good point no. though because it, it really is hard to feel. You you never get the classic like I'm the big man on campus feeling at Stanford when all everyone is like working on their thing. Where I mean, I remember my first first quarter freshman year. I took that Soch eight. Remember that class, the sports yes, psychology class. Yes. Yes. And Chris and Christian McCaffrey was in the class, and I remember, you know, I'd just gone through training camp with him, and I I knew him, and I knew him better than anyone else in the class at that point. And I remember thinking like, wow, Christian's gonna walk in here, and the whole class is gonna be like, that's the guy who just got gypped on the Heisman last year. Like, this is our guy. And meanwhile, he's just like, excuse me, excuse me, guys, like trying to find a seat. Everyone's like, oh yeah, sorry, like whoever you are, take take a seat. Like you can sit with me. And I was just like. How do these people not understand what's going on here? And it's such a bizarre well, experience. You have the stories of freshmen, you know, doing a scavenger hunt or something for a sorority or whatever it may be. And they come across Katie Ledecky and ask, like, hey, we have to take a picture with an athlete at Stanford. Are you an yeah. athlete at Stanford? She's like, oh, just a five-time gold medalist count? Like, that's a good yeah. Thing. But yeah. that's, that, there's obviously that, you know, I mean, there's, there is a nice little community in there that does understand and respect athletes. It's just, yeah. it's just not to the magnitude of, of these other places. So, I mean, I guess to answer your question, I've thought about it for a little bit. I mean, my first, my first impression of Stanford, <laughs> I, I, I'm still kind of torn with that because I'm going back to the first time I visited, um, you know, visited the campus and it was just like, it kind of just took me, um, it took me for a ride of just like endless opportunity. I'd kind of say is like, I think a lot of people go there shooting for the stars. Um, 
both athletes and non-athletes, um, and, and maybe a lot of the athletes after their career, they have other intentions um, of chasing something or pursuing something afterwards. Um, being there, I mean, you know, I, I tell this story jokingly to a lot of people, but like there's not too many places in the country that could potentially have a top 10 football team, power five, top 10 football team, and there could be a walk-on on the team that has more respect than a scholarship guy. Yeah, and I go to guys like Lewis Beard. You know what I'm saying? Guys like you, Jay, like there's guys that I know that were scholarship guys, right? Who, like, who maybe weren't playing as much or whatever. But like, I knew the guys I respected more just how they handled their business, both training in in um, in football, but also how they were handling um, and what they were chasing for afterwards. Like, you knew Lewis Beard was gonna was going to grind something out. I mean, old school Chicago dude. Um, and obviously I do respect Shaw in so many ways because he knows that they push that, that it's about a lot more than that. Obviously as a guy who, when push comes to shove, would I rather have that or would I rather win a Rose Bowl? You know what I'm saying? I got like, I'll have that after winning a Rose Bowl kind of yeah, thing. So I, right. I'm still on the side of, of ball, but I mean, I don't know. You're you're the town hero, and then you go to Stanford, and like you're walking to class, and no one even fucking knows who you are. Was there an aspect of like, okay, like, what's up, like, dude? I mean, you know, because you go you go to Florida State, you go to Bama, Tyler, fresh. You know, you end up you end up at Mississippi State. You know how it goes, but like. Was there an aspect of that where you were like, okay, why is like why does no one care? Whereas even in high school, you know, as opposed to Santa Margarita, where you're like the guy on a pedestal, was that like a little bit of a was that like a transitional kind of shock for you, where you were like, okay, oh wow. fuck yeah, dude. I mean, I mean, I mean, freshman year at Stanford, like not playing and not like you, you, you kind of got, um, you kind of like naturally got humiliated in a way right like you kind of like you kind of got undressed right like i I, thought you were this guy you got built up to be this guy and you get there and you're not i don't want to say and honestly when i started is that is that stanford is that stanford specific or is that every college ever uh, no 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 no. that's stanford it's 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 exacerbated at stanford for sure okay okay Um, okay. i will say though and and i don't want to like we we build some things up greater than they are and, and, you know, in other ways, shapes and forms. When I started playing and things were humming, like, I, I got my alter ego back, if, if, if you're asking that. Like, like, it was there. Like, I knew, like, those that needed to know and what was going on, whether it was certain professors or whether it was, you know, extensions here because we're playing a Pac-12 championship or this and that. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, there was I, – I felt like – Maybe it would be it was a, it was a lot less people than it would be at the SEC, but or or at another big school. But it was it was it was just as good as that it, because it wasn't a bunch of people that you didn't know, like people that were in you know pretty cool situations and, and had been you know deemed as at the top of their field or whatever it may be. You know, like there was a there was a lot of mutual respect shown. So I mean. I'd argue for me, everyone has a different experience, but freshman year, a lot of people go through that. I graduated from that and ended up like adoring my time at Stanford. Like I on a football team, you know, 
There's fun to be uh, had on campus. You mix it up. It just I met, it takes I met time. A lot of great guys, and, and to be honest, like I think that maybe because it's a little bit smaller and it's not to that scale of SEC, there's so much noise out there. I mean, I got 25, 35, 40 guys, including Brent, and across the board from four years of classes where I'm like, you call me, ask to get on a podcast or have a beer, or play golf, or travel anywhere, like. Uh, if I if I can, I'm there. You know, yeah, so, that's such a great part of it. That's such yeah, a great huge. I mean, yeah, sure. that's I mean that's huge. That's huge. Ultimately, this is this is what it is. That's all that really freaking matters because totally. that 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 euphoric high you might get that I touched upon, built, beating fucking LSU, former national champs. I mean, let me tell you, for beating uh, when, my best game at Stanford versus my best game at Mississippi State. I mean. After one game at LSU, I, I'm not kidding. Like, you can ask uh, ex-girlfriend. Uh, but I literally had, like, a thousand text messages. Like, it was, yeah. like, the craziest thing ever that i ever seen in my life. I didn't even know that reach existed, you know, um, up and down the board. Like, it took me, like, a week to respond to those that I <laughs> thought was worth responding to. Um, and, yeah, you had Patrick. But, but, you, had Patrick but, you had Patrick Mahomes tweeting at you, dude. Dude, I mean, Jim Nance. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were there. Dudes, you were there. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold up there. 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 We want to get there. We gotta. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to no, fly I, through. I don't want to fly through the Stanford part because this was. Yeah. It's important. It was, it's but a I, big part of me. It's it's it was, the what I thought was going to be a whole. And a, and a nice finish to a story. It just ended up getting um, cut short by injury. But yeah, well, I a, I before got a, I got a question. Yeah, go for it, Brent. Just just before we get to the what prompted the transfer and and the injuries that you ultimately unfortunately sustained, like, I'm remembering back to you know what's within my direct frame of reference when I was still on the team was the end of our freshman year. We played in the Sun Bowl against Trubisky, in yeah. El Paso. And Keller started the game. Christian sat out. Remember, there was all the, yeah. the buzz about that. And Keller tore his ACL in the first half, early in the game. Maybe even in the first quarter. I don't remember, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then Burns comes in. And I remember, maybe you remember this too. Burns was taking some shots that game. Yep. Right against the sideline, like, bad banging his head on the ground. I I just remember thinking, what is coach going to do if Burns gets hurt? And may, and correct me if I'm wrong on what the rules would have been here cuz I was on the sideline and I had a lot of the older guys that you know, I was closer with on the team, Conrad and, and, Brett, uh, and Brett, Calvin you Chandler. Were, I mean, you were shitting your pants at this point, let's be real. Me? No, no, I was when these older guys yeah, came yeah, up yeah, to me, yeah, and they thought they were going to put you in instead of me. Oh yeah, I, I, mean, I, I it hadn't really. Flustered. Oh, it was a hundred percent a rational move. It hadn't really crossed my mind, but th- these older guys go, "You realize why would they burn KJ's red shirt for a second half of a Sun Bowl? Like they might put you in if Burns gets hurt." And I'm like, meanwhile, I get two live reps a week with the ones or twos. Like this yeah. is not going to go well. And so I guess what, you know, the question that comes from that is what were you, what was going through your head in that moment? Were you thinking, are they seriously going to burn my red shirt or is this a chance for me to come onto the scene? And you know, what, what was kind of, 
what were you thinking about? I remember seeing you talking to Shaw and Shaw kind of mentioning, you know, maybe they'd run like Griffin or, or some of the most basic plays in the playbook just to get you warm, even though I know you, you had gotten more reps, but I mean, what were the, what was, what was the mindset at that point? Burns well, is getting I mean, rocked right in front of the sideline play after play. Well, when that started happening and I started feeling the, the energy arise of like, Hey, this could be a potential. I remember going straight to the, to the trainer and be like, Hey, you got to spat me up. I've never played in a game, not spatted. <laughs> I got spatted up in like, Love it. Time or like the third quarter. I'm like, Hey, if this guy's going to call my number, like I'm going to go out be there ready. And try and save the game and, and yeah. win the game and, and write yeah. this. I mean, cause first impression is big and, and you got a whole off season, you go out there and do something sweet. Um, you'll be right on the scene for the following year and then you'll yep. need two years and out. Cause that's kind of yep. the, that's kind of the, the, uh, um, the path, right? Two good seasons yeah. in college football. Um, if your goal is playing the NFL, that's what you need. And so I was, I mean, there was, it was, it was that same year. If you flash back to like Colorado, um, when oh, uh, we lost like 10 to five or something. And we, we couldn't get we couldn't get anything going on yeah. offense. And I remember Shaw yeah. calling me in the office um, that week, like, hey, like, what's your thought on, like, if we thought of playing you the last five or six games, you know what I'm saying, or getting you some time? I'm like, yeah, I'll burn my shirt. You know, I'll, get, yeah. I'll start getting my time. I, I don't think I need uh, four years on top of this year. You know, yeah. like, I wasn't, like, opposed to doing that. I mean, yeah. you remember I came in. I mean, people f- laughed at me when I said that uh, – I was. I remember At Hall laughing at me when I said when I was coming in that I that I was my goal was to play as a freshman. Um, I remember him thinking I was insane. Yeah. Um, but mentally, dude, I mean, there is something about like you have to have to think that way. Yeah. I mean, dude, like there is. I I was fortunate for a really long time to be the known guy, and you're the starter. But I mean, you know, the quarterback position as you progress and level up and you're the two, and, and everyone's pretty solid. I mean, your mentality, like how you prepare, how you're rolling out to the game, like you're going to absolutely crap down your leg if you're not really thinking about like, hey, literally, if this guy goes down, what would I do? The next So I, yeah. I was literally thinking that way. I mean, I knew every play call. I knew what I'd do. Like I listened to every play call as a true freshman, right, through the headset or whether it was through Picasso and figured what I would do. I hadn't done it yet, but maybe it was my, uh, uh, maybe it was a little bit of false confidence, but I thought I could, you know. Well, you found yourself taking the mental reps. And and on that note, I mean, it, talk a little bit about, because I've told Tyler, I told Tyler at the time, you know, freshman year, talk about that playbook as a freshman. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. it's It's notoriously one of the most. It is. And the way that I would describe it, KJ, what what I was, what I would say to like my friends and and family back home is just like the easiest thing to say is it's more complicated than about half the NFL. Um, That's what I was saying at the time. Well, it's, it's more complicated. It's more complicated than any, than any NFL playbook um, for any guy who's, who hasn't played at least or started two years in the NFL. Like what, what, what they expect you to do and, and what they expect you to be aware of when they bring like defensive. Oh, let's put it this way. Brett Favre went, isn't, went two, three years in, into his rookie year, not knowing what a nickel defender was. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I, I would argue like before. I mean, that time, if you go back six, seven years ago, they were running a like a Tom Brady esque um, style of offense or a Peyton Manning style of offense in terms of having answers for every possible situation and putting you on paper in the most theoretical, advantageous situation. And so something, right. Tyler, uh, and, and KJ will be able to elaborate on this way better than I could, but one thing that people just simply do not realize <clears throat> when you're watching a Stanford game, every it, single play has another play attached to it, every single time. So when you go in the yeah, huddle, yeah. you're calling, we're going to run this play, kill this entirely new play, and I will kill it given this criteria that's like in the fine print on my wrist, wristband. And, saying, then you you know, cha- and, then, and then you get chastised if you don't run... If you don't, the play doesn't oh, work. You know. The play does yeah. not work. Like yeah. if you get up there, and- this isn't that hard of a play, but it might sound like it. Green right wing tight Z short ninety six power kill ninety five weak alert two hundred jet dragon. So we're gonna run. All right, English, power- KJ, KJ, English, English. <laughs> so, English. No, so but no context. So so a lot of people would say over the years the most frustrating thing I ever heard was oh my god your offense is so basic we know what you're doing it's run run pass it's this that it doesn't look complicated at all. Meanwhile, I'm telling them, like, guys, we have the most complicated playbook in college football. So it's funny because it didn't necessarily look like that from from the bird's eye view from top down, which is why I think Shaw and and Pritchard have graduated from it and dumbed it way down because it frustrated them how hard they worked, how hard they prepared, like how analytical they got week in and week out. And there was other people, i.e. Coach Leach and Mm -hmm. other schemes where they're – capturing the same result or better by using a system that is uh the first week it only took you a week to learn hi hello in spanish right but i theoretically we theoretically learned an entire language and you couldn't play you couldn't play or operate the deal regardless of how talented you were until you could were fluent in the entire language is he on the inside of my guard is he head up or is he on the outside of my guard and I got to know that in a matter of four or five seconds, the clock's burning. We're late to the line because the play call took forever because that's typically what it is. And in a matter of seconds, you got to get yourself into the right check, the right play. And, oh, by the way, if they bring this one or two looks, this all-out blitz, or this is their exotic blitz, we have a black check. We have an alert black check. Third play. That you got to get – you got to tell all these other ten guys – that we're going to get to this one specific play that they left the line. They didn't. They weren't even thinking about that play. And you got to figure out a way to communicate to them, right? In a matter of because there was no seconds. expectation. Because there was no expectation that that was what the defense was going well, to bring. That was, exactly. But we were preparing so significantly that if they did bring this one play up, this one blitz, there is no other play that would put us in an advantageous situation outside of running this specific play. You yeah, know? no, it's, so it's... We, we were we were preparing we were preparing at any given time to put ourselves in the best situation. We were preparing for any we were going back five, six, seven years on a blitz scheme that Pendergast at USC brought when he was there seven years ago. And like we had to know what what protection we were gonna get and we had thirty protections. You know, when like you roll over to the SEC, it's really interesting. Leach, there is no plan for protection. It's figuring and sorted out in live time. But their flip philosophy is 
they're only going to run so few things that they're going to fall into this outcome naturally, hopefully. But we were trying to like manufacture it and like know exactly what we were getting into before it happened. So I don't know. That's the best way I could kind of describe it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's brutally mechanical. And I remember just that first few months, just it it literally, when you come in as a freshman, there are so many rules. I remember, Hey, it's all about the initiation, like laughing and joking around. I remember being there because you came in after me. Did you come in? Yeah, you came. No, you came. I came in at camp. I came. Yeah, but but a month later because I came for camp, not not summer training. Yes. So I remember when you guys had to go through your initiation of trying to show what you knew of the offense. Couldn't even get a cadence. I couldn't even get the cadence right. The same way Keller and Burns would laugh at me, and and you feel like a. You feel about this big? Like, <laughs> am I really that stupid, or is this offense just so fucking hard to learn? Yeah, and it was the latter. It was this offense is really hard to learn. Anybody's going to struggle. It's the it's the Jared Goff sound effects, right? It's the Brett Favre sound effects at at uh, rookie training camp when they go into the NFL. Yeah, you know, and John yeah. Gruden's saying that play that I just said, right? So. If you want to do a little skit, it'd be hilarious. But like, I say that play right, and there's no wristband. And you got to go into the huddle and repeat that play, right, out loud <laughs> with everyone. In and you're like, dude, I didn't know what you just said. Yeah, if you watch the sound effects with these rookies going in with with this style, I did it at the Chargers too. In uh, New Orleans, is running the same system, which is kind of cool. The bummer it hadn't really worked out, but like, my transition was like they like couldn't believe that I was able to. They were to say the play, and they were expecting to laugh at me, but I was able to regurgitate it right back instantly um and so it's it's kind of the, it's the bill walsh it's the old school it's the analytical we're gonna outsmart you and these coaches that bought into that they did it for a really long time um and they basically brought an nfl style um offense oh, but just I, and i don't want to i don't want to gloss over all the all the best parts of like 2017 you know you had a great qbr team went to the alamo bowl Nine win season, like lit lost it up. Lost in the Pac twelve championship. Lost in the Pac twelve championship to Darnold and USC, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was that? Just in a nutshell, what was that season? Was that just this is what I was? This is what I came here for? Was that validating? Was that making you more hungry? Like, what was the, what was the kind of oh, I mean, outcome of that? That was that was definitely probably one of the more like raw exhilarating experiences I had playing football because you know you come in being the guy is a big deal but like there was already a starter previously and he had won the last six games of the season in Keller and so like when he got hurt versus UCLA and it was me coming in the game and Burns coming in the game it's crazy because they put Burns out first because he was older he was a fifth year guy I believe and then and then they put me in the next drive, and then they put him in the next drive, and he wasn't successful. And it was the fourth drive, my second drive, where I was like, if I don't score a touchdown right here, like, I could be behind the pine for the rest of the season or another year. You ne- you don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. because if I didn't score here, they were going to go back to Burns, and they were either going to ride him out, and then maybe if Keller – you know, came back from the concussion and none of us proved to 
handle business. He would have came back in and played the rest of the season. So, like, that was the moment in time where I'm like, hey, this is it. It was third and five, and I remember, like, pulling a zone read. I mean, I'm a pocket guy. Like, I want to throw the ball, right? But I was willing to do anything, right, to just make it work. So that was one of the most raw experiences. Picked up the third and five. Bryce Love went for 300 that game. I ended up, you know, doing literally balls to the wall to the pylon. Basically thought I broke my neck. Just getting absolutely destroyed at the pylon for a touchdown. But, like, that was one of the most exhilarating runs of my career. I mean, it was a two-yard run, but it was, like, everything on the line. Play broke down. Earned the respect of the team. And it is true, though. The co- it was a no, combination no, no, of the two. No. Like, we, they, they, they were scheming guys up, and, and J.J. jumped on the scene, and Cade jumped on the scene, and Trent jumped on the scene, and Bryce Love jumped on the scene, and it was history from there. Like, we were, we were really handling our business. And then, unfortunately, that, that would have been, like, the, the, the crystal ball. This is why you went there. The only sad thing. Was that year the freaking playoff was the Rose Bowl? So I knew in the back of my head when we were rolling at like week eight, nine, and ten, we were going to go to the Pac-12 championship after we beat Washington, and then turn around and beat Notre Dame. And I was like, internally, I was pretty, I was pretty bummed that if we won that next Pac-12 champion, the Pac-12 game, we weren't going to the Rose Bowl because it was a it was a playoff game. But we were going to go. Who knows? SC went on and played um, Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. That would have been pretty sweet. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's that's what ended up happening that year with Darnold. But, no, 2017 was a great year. It was it was uh, where, like, you know, full st- – you, you look at stats, you're going to go to my junior year. and But in terms of not caring about stats and, like, playing the game and talking about living in the moment and, like, feeling like every day everything matters, like – you were just you were where you wanted to be. Um, it was definitely seventeen for sure. So in the most humble way, you were the shit uh, in that year. <laughs> no, well, well, KJ. Like, another another thing about that probably, and you're saying living in the moment and you know winning nine games and you're what you where you want to be. And like you mentioned, guys came onto the scene. It could not have hurt to have. The, another yet another Heisman runner-up in Bryce Love, right? That must have been pretty huge, amazing. You got him huge, to hand the ball off too. Huge, That's incredible. Huge. It wasn't about me. It was like, like what I'm saying. Like football, it's so hard. It's so hard to like go win ten games, eleven games, and make it happen. There's so many things that have to go right, and there's so many people chasing it. And that year, like it just, it kind of just came together, you know. Um, I mean, you know, granted, different years, but you had. Davis Mills, Keller, Burns, even Jay Rich, all these guys that were, you know, Brent high Pace, caliber players. When I yeah, saw that cannon the first time he walked in the room, I was a little concerned. I mean, I'm You're right, right here. That's Keller. my bad. That's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Brent. Brent's ter- Yeah. No, not Brent, obviously. Uh, no, Brent had a little cannon on him for sure. He, Brent was the guy in high school that we couldn't catch the ball from because it was too hard. Like, dude, you got you to gotta, you gotta ease up. You'd be like, all right. All right. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, like you were with all these guys that were super high caliber players, you know, top notch in high school. 
Like, but like, what is that actually like playing with all these guys, right? You're in a room with a bunch of alpha males that, that are convinced that they're the guy, they have the goods. Yeah. Is that how much of that is, is friendly competition and how much of that actually gets, you know, kind of contentious to a certain point and almost unhealthy yeah. where you guys are like, all right, well, you know, yeah, you know, we're working, honestly, we're working against each other. It's, it's a pretty sweet question. Cause I mean, if, if I never get back in that kind of a room in the football atmosphere, I'd hope I'd hopefully be able to replicate that, whether it be in business or whether it be even with your friends or whatever it may be. But, um, no, I would say it was like the healthiest thing that's ever happened to me because like you got Keller Chris in there. Who's do it, do everything right guy, right? Like everything, like he's going to try and be the first in the runs. He's going to try and be the best leader, the best example for the team. You know what I'm saying? And then you got Burns, who's a fifth-year guy who doesn't fuck, who doesn't mess up, right? He knows what he's doing. He's prepared. It's his last opportunity to play and keep his career alive, you know? And then you got the young guy in there, me, who, you know, thought that maybe I should be playing, but I sure as hell wasn't going to be playing unless the coach thought that I was at their caliber or exceeded, right? So to me, I looked at it as an incredibly healthy environment because I was on my toes 24 seven, you know, I was like, if I was, if Keller beat me to the meeting room, you know what I'm saying? Like I was, I had to fucking adjust my schedule and make sure that I didn't have a class that finished 10 minutes before the meeting. Like I needed to make sure that my schedule allowed me to be there 30 minutes early or at least close to, we'd, we'd be sitting in there a lot of times, me and him, you know, 30 minutes before, like, of course it's like guys dreams are on the line. So like, I, I'm 100% on your side of like, yeah, the coach speak, the media speak of like, you know, uh, we're here to, to um, you know, to fulfill the, the uh, what, what, what the coach says is the right thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Whoever whoever gets the job, it's we're, we're not going to step on each other's toes and do um, anything necessary to be the guy. Um, we did it in a very like professional manner, like in, in – you earn merit the right way, I think, and they did it the right way at Stanford too. Like, um, you know, you earn your respect doing the right thing in the weight room, in the classroom, who you were hanging around, like what your what what kind of energy you were giving off. Um, were you were you were you making those? Were you elevating those people around you? Were you elevating your teammates, or was it about you? Right? Like, there's a lot of really talented quarterbacks that don't understand how to elevate everyone around him. And to be honest, I know, I mean, you had, we had Bryce, we had JJ, we had Caden, we had Trent. I knew, and this is the reason why I, I love playing quarterback, to be honest, I was only as good as those around me. So like one of my primary goals and roles was to elevate those around me because I was only going to be as good as they were, you know, my O line, how, how, how highly did my O line think of me? You know what I'm saying? Was I, was it about me? Did they really, like, when push came to shove, were they scrapping and clawing to protect my ass and to, to, to have me go clean for eight games that, that year? Yeah, I think so. Because when I put my neck on the line at UCLA, which typically, you know, a lot of cues, you don't want to get hurt, you don't want to get hit, you know, throw it away, right? Like, be smart. You're, you know, you're going to be here a long time. Like, you're, you know, you could be the guy for a long time. And I was like, no, I have to like let it all go and put it all on the line. It was it was survival of the fittest in a professional atmosphere. I mean, there was no there was no dirtiness about it, but like I remember like Burnsy like 
when I was, uh, when he left after my freshman year, he's like, Hey dude, like I respect you and everything, how you went about your business. Like go, go handle it from here. And he ended up leaving on and leaving ball altogether. But like, it was a, it was a really cool quarterback room. And I think if you go, you know, look at the, the Ohio state quarterback room, all the studs they had there, you go look at, there's a lot of really good quarterback rooms, um, even in the NFL, like really good stories about um, like the quarterback that plays the best on a given team. It has a lot to do with what the other guys in the room look like, you know, um, especially in the NFL and, and especially in college. But ultimately in college, it's a little different because there's no franchise guy that signed a 10-year, $500 million deal. Yeah, you're all, you're all survival of the fittest fighting to potentially be that guy down the line. Um, so I think like that atmosphere for me was incredibly healthy. You know, I, I felt the most alive in my lifetime so far being in that environment for four years, you know, and it's what I miss most because when, I don't know, just when you feel like everything matters, uh, it's pretty empowering, um, to be in that environment. And honestly, I, I love it and miss it because now like, you know, you can get away with not being incredibly disciplined, you know what I'm saying? Not showing up and like thinking two or three steps ahead. Like I remember I started going in there, you know, a lot of guys don't think about it, but like I remember going into Bloom's office on like Monday morning at like 8 a.m. and chewing seeds and, hey, let's talk, let's talk about the protection meeting for 30, 40 minutes right now and I'll write my notes. So when I come back at 2.30 and you install it the first time, I already heard it once and wrote it down, so now I can really listen. And by the way, when I went out to practice doing something that simple, I wasn't stressing that first day. I already kind of knew what was going on. Just playing ahead of the game. Like, that's, that's kind of what um, – and, and they instilled a lot of that in me. I mean, honestly, I was, I was talented. I was this and that. But, like, when I came in as a freshman, they were like, hey, you know, we've had Andrew Luck here. You know what I'm saying? We've had Kevin Hogan. Like, these guys ran the show – in an incredibly like respectful manner. And they were just, they talk about the quarterback lifestyle, you know, what, what it took to, um, what it took to be the guy at Stanford. And like, they kind of wrote the vision out. Um, and I kind of, you know, they challenged me, you know, multiple times, like freshman year, basically saying, Oh, maybe we don't, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this doesn't mean as much, you know, to you as like, we think it should type stuff in a good way. Like, Um, In a motivating way, I'm sure. Exactly. To a guy like me who they know when somebody tells them that, or just when somebody tells me like, eh, I don't think you're, I remember the trainer freshman year. Barlinski? Steve Barlinski? (laughs) Are you bringing Barlinski into this? In my spring Why are you guys shitting on the trainer? Come on. Oh, dude. This guy was rough, dude. Don't get us started. In my spring email, he in 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 front of the entire staff, he goes, I don't think KJ's ever going to be healthy to play a single season here. He's so weak in X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, I blew a disc in my back. Flipping how'd, you rea- how'd you react to that fucking slander? Well, first of all, I had to take it because there was every coach was in the meeting room, and, and I didn't get to talk until the very end. Yeah, but you, you, know, you don't but, earn a little respect if you're like, yo, you're full oh, of trust me. I mean, the thing with me, Brent, is – It's situational. Me, right? It's situational you, there. You, you, you know, so me, you like, just I, eat that. You just eat that. Uh, not not entirely. I mean, I sat up there and said, "Hey, like, 
to be quite frank, I don't think you, Bart, have any idea what kind of pain I've been through this past four. Like, there dude, I go. couldn't walk for like fucking a day or two. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, like yeah. I, I really fucked my low back up doing a entire uh, flip relay my freshman year trying to earn the respect of my teammates and blue L4, L5. Like, it was not great. I feel it every day even now, right? But I was like, no, I mean, come on. You, you do have any idea of, like, what I plan to do here type stuff. I didn't say it that way, but in a manner of like, don't worry about my health. Like when it's time to play, like I'll, I'll be, I missed the practice yet. Right. Um, and I won't be missing any time anytime soon. So it was, my point is, is like, you're talking about the environment, the QB environment. I, I think back in the day, Stanford did a pretty good job of creating a, a, a pretty competitive environment. Um, they do. And, now, and KJ, you know, it's crazy. Like, it's so much easier to reflect on and you were again I was a part of the program for a year yeah. and you were longer than that but it's very interesting to reflect look back at it's it is so much intentional engineering and like it's so intentional when these coaches do these mind games on 18 19 20 year old kids who are so impressionable whether it was Turley in the weight room or, you know, Tavita and Pritchard in the quarterback, or Tavita and Picasso in the quarterback. You know, room. Tav. You know, Tav's Tav's damn good at it. Yeah, dude, it. it is a, it is a skill. It's an art, and they totally do it for you know what they hope is for your, uh, what you hope is the players for your betterment, but also to see like where does this guy have flaws? Like where does this alpha four star, five star recruit, whether he's a quarterback or any other position? who thinks he's Iron Man and he's totally untouchable, where does this guy actually have some sort of, like, insecurity about his game or some sort of, like, oh, God, like, we're, we're, they're looking for you to recoil when they say something. And and it just, it's, it makes you so much better to have people basically prodding at you all the time looking for, okay, where am I actually going to poke a hole in this armor? Because they're, they're, they're there. There are gaps yeah. in this armor. And each time that a gap is kind of exploited by a coach or a trainer or, a, you know, whoever, um, it makes you better and it humbles you and it makes you better and it forces you to close the gap. That's the old school way though, right? I mean, that, that's what we're, that's what we're all moving away from, you know, like in society, but also with football, right? Yep. I mean, we're, we're moving away from, um, basically like that form of literally intense, competition survival of the fittest over time the best is going to rise to the top like mm -hmm. that that's like the core um root of kind of that environment that they had going for a good bit and obviously it, it reflected in, in the amount of wins um obviously recently it's not been the case but for a lot of other reasons that you can say are out of their control but um yeah so i think and now we want to get to what ultimately you know, prompted the transfer and everything. And I know that 2019 and, and just off the top of my head, without doing any research back to what your official injuries were, I remembered off the top of my head that you had thumb, hip, ankle, back. And I, that's probably about half the list. Are those accurate? Did you heard all those things at some point? Thumb, hip, yeah. ankle, back. And then you can add on whatever, whatever other ones. And that kind of, you know, played into why, 
after a fantastic 2017, fan- incredible 2018, like huge numbers, another great year. You started in 13 games. Um, you know, injuries do take their toll, and there it's never just one guy or one guy's injuries. But 2019, you know, the team struggled, and we finished four and eight, and injuries had to do with that. I'm sure you weren't feeling your best. Like what? I don't know. If I guess you can just we can give you a second to talk through the injuries and kind of how you dealt with them, because you ultimately yeah. ended up playing in 2020 in your fifth year, despite this laundry list of injuries that you got just in college, not to mention ones that were lingering from high school. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the the back injury was what it was. We were training intensely hard as a freshman, right? I mean, we're we're doing some, some crazy stuff, and, and I had, uh, you know, may, maybe a little bit of lack of mobility and, and other things from a, a gnarly ankle surgery and, and uh, a foot surgery in seventh, eighth grade that, you know, kind of crept up over time after playing four hard years in high school. But long story short, I mean, I, um, like, it's really funny because a lot of it dates back to this, this non-football related injury of being a kid at eight, at, at, in eighth grade who severed second, third, and fourth metatarsal on his foot, flipping a golf cart and the roof landing on my foot. And like, really just like a, a massive trauma injury, like, career ending from the doctor's perspectives initially and months into um, that ended up me fighting back from. Right. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the stuff over the time I know came it from compounds, like, it compounds, it compounds, yeah. but it compounded all from that, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, no, I mean, you add in, I mean, you start playing. So the hip, the hip was on the same side as the foot injury, you know, and I tore my labrum in my head. Like I, when I'd sit down for like, 15 minutes or more like it'd take me like it i don't know it'd be like really hard to get up and walk again i'm like whoa what's going on end up getting mri blah 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 end up having a hip surgery that like apparently once again most people like career ending hit labrum it's supposed to be a big deal got hooked up coach shaw hooked me up talked to kurt warner he had the same thing went to his doc in in vale colorado dr philippon did an unbelievable job he like was the the uh, OG engineer of like the new way of doing the surgery and he did it and had me literally back up and running in four or five months with most people it's like eight to twelve and I played that following season and, and that was my best year at Stanford coming off the hip surgery so overcame that it feels great now learned so much about my body and the way it all works um, but honestly uh, moving forward from that it was um, it was all just nicks and bruises and and Subtle tears here and there until my last game of that season in 2018. We went on the road, played in the Sun Bowl, and, um, dude, landed on my shoulder. Like, as I threw, got hit by, like, a 330-pounder, and he just suplexed me and shoulder, boom, up and in, like, on impact. Um, And then, I don't know, you fast forward to the 2019 offseason. I'm trying to recover from that. The whole time, no way am I going to do surgery. I'm coming back, pop guy. I'm gonna figure it out. You know, cortisone this, cortisone that, tortle yeah. this, tortle that. Yeah. You're gonna fig- I mean, there's nothing that was gonna keep you from from getting out there, right? You're just gonna figure it out. And then, um, yeah, got out there and and uh, uh, week one got knocked out against Northwestern. Like, yeah, pretty bad concussion. Like a just a cheesy call. Like I went to slide 
before the half. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do. I do remember it. I was watching it. Um, and then you fast forward up to sit out the next week against SC at the Coliseum, which was crazy. I medically got cleared. I was ready to roll, but uh, um, they didn't let me play. I had to sit out a week. And then went on week four to play Oregon. Big game, biggest game of the career. Come down on a helmet on top of my right guard, throwing an inside fade to Colby, and tear the RCL on the thumb. It's like, can't help it. Trauma, random, out of nowhere. Uh, battled back from that, because Jack West went in at the time. Davis was out with his knee. He couldn't play. Guys are looking at me. When are you coming back? When you, I'm like, guys, I can't even brush my teeth. They got my contacts. I'm not, <laughs> not having it. Um, but they're like, no, no, like we got to go. So I'm like, oh, so I get a cortisone shot in my thumb. And all of a sudden, like, it feels better. Like Also, oh, those are – how unpleasant are those with the needle that's about this big, every cortisone? Yeah. Got well, one in my knee and one in my shoulder. If they're going in the hand, Going into your or, finger. Or the, terrible. Or, or the feet because there's really, your really finger? tight – Really tight joint spaces, right? There's not a lot of – They got to find the gap. In between the joints is, in your hand and feet. horrific. So it's the most pain. Like, the needle is touching your bone. You know, it's a yeah. several inch long needle tower. Like it's, shoulder it's and terrible. Other, other spots, yeah. like it, it goes through the fat tissue and it doesn't end up normally getting into that. But it was that was incredibly painful. But it uh, rebounded from it. Came back, played Arizona that game. Had a, had a good game. Threw for over three hundred and thought I was ready to roll. But then this wears off, and I'm battling through the thumb. Flash forward next week, we go on the road to Colorado. I I like the most freak accident ever dude comes around the back i could send you the video but i have a video of it on tape i was like well this is the moment when um i tore my ucl on my elbow um and it was like so obvious like when it happened ended up going at halftime getting checked out you know um and maybe because a little bit of a health pregame right didn't feel much um and like oh your strength's good so I go back out there, throw a touchdown on a scene ball, play the entire second half. And I, like, literally just did not feel right, but ended up figuring it out. And then go after MRI, full thickness tear. Like, oh, yeah, you played the second half on a tear. I'm like, oh, great. So what does it mean now? You're done for the year. So that put me out for the year. Um, and then, dude, it was like, just come on. Like, I got to get ready for the draft. Like, I – Right at the point when I'm supposed to have my, you know, pivotal, maintain my peak in college and, and move on to, you know, the next dream, the next chapter, I just kind of got shot down back to back to back. I'm like, okay, I'm going to close the book on college and I'm going to train for the draft. Like, KJ, KJ, to, to get a little granular, what did that do to like your psyche just in general? Like, like how, like, how'd you deal with that outside of football? How'd you deal with that? I mean, dude, like, it's so interesting because, like, I can go back, look back on it. I mean, it was the first – it was amazing, dude, because it was – when I was sitting on the sideline, um, when I was sitting on the sideline when I did my thumb against Oregon week four, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this could be my last game in a Stanford Union. It was the first time, like, you're riding this wave. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And all of a sudden – and all of a sudden, like, I thought it was going to never end. There's no way it could end. There was nothing that could stop. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, remember, I remember looking 
Um, I think, yeah, it was JJ on the side. I remember looking at JJ and being like, yo, dude, like, uh, this might be my last camp in a Stanford uniform. He's like, dude, you're crazy. You're fine. Re-up. I'm like, no, oh, it's just how, like, I don't even know what's going on with this. So end up coming back from that, like, three, four weeks later, and then that injury was like, no. Like, it's, they're, they're like, you can't throw. I couldn't bend my arm. Like, it was done on my throwing arm. So it was like, you're done. So then at that point, but I do remember right, that big moment true. in time. The moment in time was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe this maybe this ride is uh, – maybe you got to hang up the board for a little bit and, and rebound and figure it out. So that's and did you think was. about – did you think about that? You're like, this, like, I, like I might just hang it up right here. Like, the- no, 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 no. Oh, absolutely not. No, I'm right, talking about right. college. Like the wave of college was done. Yeah, like let's make the transition mentally it, to prepping for the draft. Let's let's like reload. Let's get this body. Let's get it put back together. You still got. I mean, come on. Like two weeks ago, you just handled your business. Well, Pedro, that's a per- that's a perfect segue because I really want to I really want to get into your transfer to Mississippi State. Yeah, well, it's a lot deeper than that, and we I'll talk about it with you guys, and we can decide what we want to throw out there and what we don't. Perfect. Because like I yeah I I still have a really good relationship with Shaw and and Stanford in general, and I had to cover my tracks there respectfully because I love the place, right? Um, but Long story short, and we can cut in whatever, however we want. But Brent, I'm pretty sure you know the story. But like, I'm I turn my UCL. We played the last six weeks of the season. Davis Mills steps in, throws for like 500 yards on the road at Washington State. He's been riding the pine behind me for three years, and he was the number one top three guy coming out of high school, right? So he's like, boom, flip switch, next man up, right? So he plays the last six games. We don't win a lot. We win four. He doesn't. We're not winning, but like he's showing some. He's showing some signs that he can play. So, and meanwhile, before that season, Shaw tells the media KJ's decided to come back and not go to the NFL. He's coming back for this season, and we hope we can have a great year before he goes to the NFL next year. So mentally, everyone was like thinking, "This is my last year," and then I move on. But I did have another year of eligibility. You know what I'm saying? So yep. I come in there. We we play Notre Dame. We miss a road. We miss a uh, bowl game because we only won four games. And I remember sitting down and asking Coach. Sean, this hey, is twenty nineteen. This is twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. Last game of the season on Friday before the Saturday game. I sit down with Coach Shaw, and I, I, I was trying to set a meeting for after this season so we can have like a little more extensive conversation, right? Um, most most guys thinking about going to the NFL, if not all, went and sat in his office and asked what Coach Shaw recommended, you know. And so I did that, um, and Coach Shaw recommended that I go to the NFL. He's he said that I had done my time and that I had a, an awesome career and that it was super unfortunate how the way it ended. And he thought that if I got healthy, I would be, you know, he told GMs that I'd be a guy that they'd bring in and in, in a short amount of time, if he stayed healthy would be at least the minimum, a great backup quarterback. And over time, if he got the hang of it and, and everything prevailed, he'd, he'd be a guy that, you know, was worth drafting. Right. And so when he said that, um, sorry, I'm going back to my mail now. When, it, when, when he, when he, when he told me that, uh, 
he recommended I go to the NFL. I was sitting there with a torn UCL, and I was not um, able to throw a football. And I had to declare by January 10th or January 5th, right? And so I'm sitting there saying, you want me to declare and probably not be able to throw in the combine. I was projected top five quarterback first rounder coming into this season um, after based on what I've done in the past. But now talking to agents and what's going on, if I'm not healthy and can't throw at the combine, the NFL is going to take me as cheap as possible, right? And I'm probably going to drop fourth round to seventh undrafted. Who knows? Like, I don't know. That world gets very slippery. If you're not in the, if you're not like a top five guy or like, okay, you just missed the top five, then you're probably going to go third round. But after third round, most quarterbacks drop all the way to like six, seven or undrafted. That's totally, just totally, totally. You say the, the uncertainty must just skyrocket once you're not a locked first three rounds guy, as you're saying. Yeah, I mean, what I'm, but 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 if you and you're sitting it, here and you were the guy and you're sitting here you were the guy for multiple years and and let's say you don't you know you don't end up getting healthy like things get complicated and your leash is way shorter like if you don't get drafted above the fourth round you know so why wouldn't I want to so why wouldn't I want to come back get healthy and play another night year of college football um, and and go where I was supposed to go, so to speak, or relatively um, in a place where I felt better about where it was, right? So I fired back with, hey, I mean, you know, what if I want to come back and and play another year, right? Um, Obviously, the conversation gets interesting, right? Because he recommended you go to the NFL, and for me, that means he's he's moved on, right? Um, Did I lose you guys? No, we got you. Keep going. Oh, yeah. And so long story short, um, it basically became this world of like, hey, do you want to have two quarterbacks? What do you want? Me, my time at Stanford has been a 10 out of 10. Um, To be quite frank, like I would play backup quarterback here. I'd play first string. I'd challenge Davis. I'd do anything to like get us to a Pac-12 championship and, and win the thing, right? Like my heart is with Stanford. My experience here has been a 10 out of 10. Why would I want to sacrifice or tarnish in any way, shape, or form uh, my experience, my overall experience and thought in the future looking back on leaving Stanford? Like, I don't want to go anywhere, you know. Um, now, at the same time, I got to look out for myself. And if I want to keep my dream intact, I got to play the following year, you know. Um, I got to show that I'm that I'm healthy and that I'm coming back from this injury um, because it's obvious, people know the word will get around what happened, and I got to show that I can, you know, make it happen for me and for continuing on the journey. And so that kind of turned into um, an interesting period of time where, um, you know, it it was like, well, what 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 do we want to do type thing, and it ended up being. Um, kind of personal personal agenda, personal agenda, professional um, settlement. And, like, I need to play. And between me and you, I'm like, like, what are you going to tell the media? Is my job up for grabs? Am I still the starter? Does Davis have to beat me out? I'm not going to be able to play in spring, right? Um, and he's going to be able to take all the reps in spring because I'm going to be rehabbing. 
is this something that's like, what do you want to do here? Like, do you want me back and we'll figure it out along the way and you got me covered or what is it? Yeah. And I was dialed in. I mean, to be honest, kid, like that's kind of like the type of stuff we want to hear about. Like that's kind of, that's kind of the reason for the podcast. You know, here you are like killing it for, for three years and one injury takes you out of the game. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, backseated to some guy that, that, I mean, Davis Mills obviously is great. He's phenomenal, but like, I mean, that's, that's honestly the story that we, you know, want to tell and it hasn't been told. Like, like, yeah. Like if you, yeah, I mean, definitely keep digging into that. That's kind of, that's kind of the crux of what we're at. But one, one thing that I want to know is that conversation with Shaw and, you know, when he says, I think you should go to the NFL, as you mentioned, that is essentially him saying, like, I can't, I can't guarantee you the starting job. Like, that's just kind of a, that's a gut punch. Like, what do you? Yeah, and did you believe him? Like, when he was like, okay, you're going to, you know, I, I think it's your time to go to the NFL. Or were you like, okay, I'm getting sidelined? Well, um, honestly, I walked out of the- that meeting like uh gut punch right like for sure a guy that <clears throat> put everything he had on the line essentially no i i get it like it's politics it's real world shit so like i it takes a, it takes the bigger man in me to understand um shaw's situation and what he was dealing with right like what i would do if he was in his shoes but this is kind of like when push comes to shove right it's like man to man like I'm sitting there like hey coach like this is my career this is my life like I don't want to leave like things can get really messy if I leave I mean potentially my reputation and everything here moving forward like can be sour you know not because of me but because of me leaving and it's deemed as me it, exactly it, from yeah. the perception on the outside looking in and I'm a smart like I'm smart enough to know that like I built a lot of really good relationships at Stanford like whether it was with alumni, whether it was with students, whether it was with professors, whether it was with my teammates. And, like, I had to go fucking out of my way sending out mass, like, text messages here and there, like, letting people know a little bit of the situation, you know. And it was a gut punch. It was me basically walking out of that room. My parents were there. My parents were down by the field, the practice field. We were going out for a fast Friday before the last game of the season. And, you know, it was extremely emotional basically telling them like hey coach Shaw moved on and they're like in their minds it's like no way like there's not a chance in the world that that's the case you you're emotional you totally misread the situation I'm like okay we can we can hang out enjoy our last game get called out on senior night I ran out that night parents were out there hug hug Shaw before the game right like it was it was in, in the fact that this conversation was had I asked coach to have the conversation after the last game and he thought that it was a good idea to have it before. I'm not sure that it was, it was vicious in any way, shape or form, but to have that, I mean, maybe who knows in a nutshell, it was to realize that that was my last time running out on the field at Stanford, even though I wasn't in pads, who knows? I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, it very quickly shifted to like, okay, this is going to, could potentially be, I got to treat it as such my last time running out of the tunnel. Right. 
um, and not necessarily on my terms, right? Um, so that's kind of what that was. It, it wasn't the end all be all that conversation because in many ways, shape or form, it seemed as if Shaw was like shocked that I even wanted to come back. Right. So like, mm. I also, I give, I give a man a lot of credit and I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to like paint any picture that wasn't the case, right. Paint both sides. But like at the end of the day, a guy who was a two-year captain, going to be a three-year captain coming back. Um, Stanford specialty was fifth year guys, fifth year captains, right. Kevin Hogan winning his quarterback in Stanford history, won 40 games. Like his, his MO was having veterans around that program for yeah. a really long time. Yeah. And um, when push came to shove, man to man, that was not the message that was delivered. Um, I, and that's, that's just the raw, like, you know, situation, you know? Um, and so moving on from that and ended up, there was a there was a series of conversations that happened afterwards. So I was like, Hey coach, I got to rehab this whole thing. I got to go see Tom house, the best in the business. Who was Tom Brady's, uh, who was Tom Brady's guy, Drew Brees' guy. Like I was lucky to be exposed to him in high school. He's from Southern California. Um, anyone who knows quarterback and throwing knows that he's like the biggest name in the game. And when it comes to rehab, he brought back Andrew Luck. Like I'm like, Hey, I got to go figure this out. And so it ended up a series of conversations happened where we all went home after that last game. And there was a month before I had to declare. And that's when conversations were had of like, Hey, what do you want? I mean, like, is it best for me and you if I have an opportunity to go start at Georgia, at Washington, at Michigan, at Michigan state, at like these places that I'm looking at, like, and then obviously the first step was enter the transfer portal. It was like, should I enter the transfer portal? Right. And, and that was, that was like, at the end of the day, him basically saying, right. Um, me getting to the point like coach, do you want me to, do you think I should enter the transfer portal if I have an opportunity to start somewhere else in the country next year? Right. And after, you know, long, awkward pause, silence, it was like, yes. And so there I had it. He's like, I fully support you in the transfer portal, blah, blah. blah. So like, it's a weird. That is weird. That's a weird dynamic. It's like you just cut rope, but also you're going to be my buddy and advocate. And yeah. And, and now, and now I'm sitting here after having a great career and a great time, not wanting to like saw this relationship, right? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to put it, you know, put an end to something that I, I saw as like a lifelong friendship, you know, and which it still is the case. I mean, it seemed as if it was just personal interest to personal interest, right? Um, like it's what was best for him. And it was quote unquote, what was best for me at the time um, as a reaction to what his plan seemed like moving forward. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the nature of it. Right. And hit the transfer portal and instantly it was like a whole nother world of recruiting. And it was back to like, Oh, where do you want to go? Top guy. It's the portal. What is, why is KJ leaving? And it's like, it was kind of seemed as like I left and I was up to me, but you know, so it was an interesting deal, right? No one ever ends up knowing the full story. Hence the reason you guys are up to, to doing this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, out of full respect, I came to the conclusion that man-to-man, like, it was personal interest, personal interest, and, like, mine was obviously reactionary to his because he's the head man and he's in charge. 
Um, but still, I have insane amount of respect for him. Like, I mean, obviously, there's reasons why he said it was the hardest decision he ever had to make, and he got emotional with it, and it was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. The guy was not – like, nobody really wants to be in that situation, right? Um but it was just the reality of the moment and that's what it was. And so then focus shifted to, Hey, can I resurrect my career? Um, first, can I get healthy and throw the ball, which I worked my balls off, um, all day, two days, twice a day. Um, got the best docs attention, did a lot of things I needed to do and got back to throwing the ball. Well, like, and just in time to go out for training camp. And I still battled through like, the incredible um, increase of volume right then there in training camp. Cause once again, it's typically an injury someone would come back from in like eight months, nine months, 12 months. And I was back at it in six. Um, and so, and then, you know, people thought it was all good and gravy after LSU, but I was, I was still battling a little bit um, just with, with the volume and the, the intensity of what it was. But anyways, long story short, I wish it, it ended up playing out better at Mississippi state. Um, I think that was that was a situation with COVID and a full new staff, a full new environment with like taking the bottle off the cap week one. We had the most insane reaction um, from SEC defensive coordinators to play drop eight, 91 percent of snaps for the following three weeks. And yeah. we wrote the blueprint for the rest of the season of how to stop Bleach's offense, quote unquote, and me. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of turned into a feeding frenzy of. You know, some unfortunate things. Guys got kicked off the team and turned into a clean house. Like, we're going to clean the culture out. We're going we're gonna to kind of reload this whole thing and expense extinguish this year um, for the betterment of the future of the program. Um, and it didn't help that I got knocked out against Alabama, had another concussion. And that was kind of the last time I really, um, you know, played a college football game. Um, it was. Yeah, it was Bama. So, Anyways, long story short, that took me through the Mississippi State season, and then I ended up um, moving on and, and once again training for the draft. Maybe if I just left straight up the, the first time around, could have went late round, but would have ended up coming back and being healthy. I got beat up pretty good in the SEC as well. Um, what were you like, okay, why did I put in all this sweat and this blood and these tears, like all this shit for – three years for you to say, you know, do what you got to do? Like, was it fear of it ending? Like, what were you feeling in that moment? Because I do want to dig into that a little bit. Like, I I think, I mean, well, initially, obviously, all those emotions of, of betrayal, of putting your ass on the line, of putting your body on the line, mind, body, soul, everything on the line for the program. Like, I was all in. I was an all in type guy. Um, obviously you would hope, right. In any sort of relationship that, you know, the counterpart understand that and fire back with in full support, but the bigger man inside of me, the, the, the more mature man, the coming of age moment was, Hey, it's like, it's not, we're not, our relationship isn't in a perfect vacuum. Like he has a program that he's got to take care of. Like he's got top guy in the country who's behind me who's showing glimpses of some good stuff who he might get two years out of, right? He might get, he might get three if the guy stays long enough 
and that's three more years of some solid stuff with him versus I really, truly deep down believe that if I came back and shot back me, Davis is transferring, right? Um, he's going to he's gonna leave. So it was kind of like when I step back at it, I think way more highly of Shaw than to think of the, the, the initial ethos, selfish emotion of betrayal and like all of that the raw emotion that comes that comes up that most kids at that age probably would just swim in obviously it was like something that i was swim not it did not sit anywhere remotely easy with me um but as i kind of look back on it and even in the moment i'm just like eventually a couple weeks months days pass by it's the only thing i'm thinking about every day every hour of how it came to what it came to and that's why when i boil it down for me to move on with some sanity, um, it was the simple fact that he made a decision that was best for his, that he thought was best for his future. That was, you know, his role was as the head coach was to make that decision. Um, and that superseded our quote unquote lifelong friendship or whatever that may be. Um, and then me sitting on the other side, being the bigger man, not wanting to, not wanting to burn the bridge of the beautiful memories that I had at Stanford was like, okay, I mean, shit, I, I, I can either not respect it and swim in my side of the story and my grief and this and that, or I can, or I can savor those memories and go about it the right way um, with my departure and, and how I react to the situation. I think so to not get caught into the weeds of the transfer process itself. I think this is kind of an interesting spot where I can give you a couple like quick hitter questions and we could even say if possible try to answer it in one word I'll give you just a couple in a row just about the the recruiting process so we'll start here what was the biggest factor in the transfer process at that point thinking was it scheme talent coaches in one word what was the biggest factor in the going program from you were going to go to Going from Stanford to yeah. wherever you're. Um, it was it, it it was uh basically a locked in starting spot on the biggest stage possible. Okay, so that goes right into the next question. Were you promised the starting spot at Mississippi State? I mean, yeah, like based on as much as had, you could be. Yeah, based on who they had, and Leach was never a promise to start guy, but based on who they had, me using my like it. They had a running type quarterback and they were switching to a full on air raid and Leach knew who I was and what I did against him and me in the Pac-12. And it was a mutual respect and basically, you know what I'm saying. Did you know Leach before the transfer portal days? No. Never but met him in high school? I came across him at Pac-12 media day um, and I just said something like, I talked to him about my buddies that played for him. Um, Including your boy K-Sweet, right? No, I mentioned I mentioned him. I said, "Hey, how's my boy Cal Sweet going over doing over there?" He goes, "You can always count on Case Sweet for a can of dip." <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. That's all he said. Oh my! Okay, there we go. Brent, I got the next two. Go ahead. Um. Okay, so so fair to say, KJ, you chose. Mississippi State who was the biggest stage where you were promised a starting spot, and you knew the fan base was big. You'd be on the national stage, et cetera. Well, before your next question, I mean, it basically, it, it ended up boiling down to a ton of options, but I wanted to make a pretty concise move on, like, 
I had to know the coach relatively, and I had to know the situation was relatively. And you friendly. and you liked and you liked Leach. Well, a couple things. One, I was locked and loaded. the The final three was Washington, Georgia, and Mississippi State, and I was locked okay. and loaded to go to Georgia when Fromm declared. And the truth of the yeah. matter with that is, we're on the quarter system, and I had I was going to graduate in three years and two quarters, so I had like twelve units left. And I was going to be two weeks – when we figured it out with Kirby Smart, they're on the semester system, I was going to be like two weeks late to spring ball. And with him wanting to win a national title, he wanted to – like I was – by the way, I was locked and loaded to go to Georgia. I was fired up, like ready to roll. It was like, hey, Fromm declares, you're in. Obviously, there was still – the deal needed to be closed and it needed to be publicized. But Fromm declares, and we had had a conversation the day before – when they start when they started to figure out the nitty gritty of when I could get there and be cleared academically, right? Graduated and seamless deal. It was like, oh, you you have you have to finish. Uh, you have four weeks left of school. It's like, oh, you're gonna be two weeks left of spring ball. And all of a sudden, that scared the shit out of Kirby, and he went with his kid Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest, who ended up opting out and didn't even play that year. Um, you know, it was part of the opt-out deal. He thought his status was already high enough in the NFL, and he thought he could just, you know, bypass playing another year of college, I guess. And he ended up opting out anyhow. I would have loved to play in an ideal world two years at Georgia, and I was crack at the natty because Stetson Bennett was the only guy they had on the roster ready to go after him. And lo and behold, nobody thought the walk-on was going to lead a national championship-type team. So Kirby was all in on bringing me in to compete with him and, likely be the guy and so when the door closed on georgia then it shifted to washington and mississippi state and i wasn't going to backstab the pac-12 and go to go to a team in the north at washington it just it felt like a full new deal sec leach says hey you want to lead the country in passing um let's go and that's kind of what it was got it okay so you so you decide to go to mississippi state and I'm in California to Starkville, Mississippi. I think that's, that's well. I real, I real quickly learned how to shoot a 12 gauge. That's for sure. That, um, there you I, go. <laughs> I mean, so, I you're was, in, so you're in the boonies. Fan base is wild. Yeah. Can you just shed a little light on like what that culture shock was like in terms of going from Palo Alto, where you can be, whether you're KJ Costello or fucking Christian McCaffrey, and yeah. people barely know. Yeah, you're walking well, we, class. We, you're, we you're, can, you're, we you're can, walking across we, campus. We can just get straight to it with like a simple metaphor or example. Yeah, hit me, yeah, hit me with the metaphor. I want, I you're a fre- you're a freshman. At, you're a freshman at Stanford. You've never played. The students yeah. are asking why you leave because they think you're working at Google or a startup. But at Miss before you ever play a snap, but at Mississippi State before you ever play a snap, and the 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 blogs and everybody is saying that you're the guy that's going to save the program and bring him to this new promised land alongside of Leach, like overnight, you're deemed as kind of like, you know, the guy who's going to put him on the map because they care that much. Um, and so you feel you that got... instantaneously. Getting off the plane when I went out there, the guy who, small airport, 25,000 people, 20,000 people in Starkville, the guy getting off the plane is like, KJ, nice to have you in Starkville. We're fired up. The, like the guy grabbing your back, like the guy who works for the airlines. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and like walking into the dorm room, walking on the campus, the whole night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it basically you pretty quickly realize that like people are, like people are looking at you, 
like they're when you walk in and you're like oh you know you didn't really know kind of what that felt like um but when there's such a concentration of like um focus on football right um in this little ecosystem like you quickly realize um that everyone's kind of tuned into the same channel um in terms of what they're what they're liking is and what they're what they're interested in and what they're talking about did that add to your pressure or were you at the point in your career where you're like i i've got nothing to lose yeah i'm I just mean, gonna go out there well it, it definitely it it inspired me and gave me a shitload of um energy to like go out there and lay it on the line you know um like you just knew it meant a lot right it was obvious that what you were doing meant a lot um at Stanford, you had to you had to understand the magnitude of what you're doing was greater than what it maybe seemed like at the moment. Um, basically, people watching all around the country they're pushing the envelope out there, um, obviously in line with their um, priorities. And I mean, and let's not let's not sugarcoat it. You get to Starkville, week one, you're playing LSU on the road. They're coming off a natty. They've got you know Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards. Jamar Chase, arguably one of the best college football teams of all time. You're playing on the road in Death Valley, which clearly you've never done at Stanford previously. You're playing in front of the Mississippi State fan base, which you've never done before. Yeah. And you absolutely ball, you absolutely ball out. You you break the all-time record for passing yards, you have five touchdowns. You, you win by 10 on the road. The fan base loves you. Patrick Mahomes is fucking tweeting about you. You're in front, you're, you're, you know, affront all the Heisman conversations. Can you just walk us through like that game and, and, and what that meant? I mean, that's, that's pretty spectacular after everything you've been through with what you yeah. kind of walked us through at Stanford. And no, I, I would, you, you get that, to this crazy fan base and, the, and that's your start. The, 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 the good man upstairs gave me, gave me a good last kind of finish to a game more relative than I, maybe I thought my college career would be over, but gave me, gave me a last, uh, last hurrah in college football, like a moment like that, your last best game. But I remember telling my dad, no, we're going to play LSU. He's oh, yo, you got to be smart, blah, 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 this and that. I'm like, dude, if there was any time to play LSU after sending 20 guys to the NFL after winning a natty, talk about overconfidence of guys coming in, week one having no respect for me or Mississippi State, I would, this is fantastic. So, like, that was my mindset going in was, like, the, I, there was a bunch of guys that had zero respect um, for me or anybody that, <laughs> across the line. And uh, I knew I could play. So I was like, oh, let's see what it is. And uh, that's kind of what it ended up being. Like I said, a moment in time, um, I thought it could be, you never know, right? I mean, UCL, I mean, that could be the end of any pitcher's career, any thrower's career. Like, naturally, you hear about all the stories of guys never coming back from a UCL, never even close to the same. Um, So to come back and play my best game I ever played, um, that was, like, at least satisfying. That, that, that will keep me sane for the rest of my life um, just after how Stanford ended, right? Um, it was kind of how I saw potentially some sort of my senior year playing out, and it played out all in one day. Um, I wouldn't say it ended up playing out as long or as consistent as I would have liked, but, you know, I can't be greedy, right? Um, so 
I mean, in a nutshell, that was, uh, that allowed me to be comfortable back in my own skin, basically knowing that I came back from what ended a lot of people's career and had the best game I ever had. Um, and the rest was a bummer because I was trying to just build on that for nine weeks afterwards and go on a run. And, you know, I had a lot of teammates and guys behind me that knew the story and what happened was like, Hey, keep this thing rolling. And this is the rebound. This is the, you know, and it didn't end up playing out that way. You know, not (laughs) most things don't end up playing out the way you expect, but for what it was, um, you know, that, uh, that I think a lot of people need to know and people are curious about. And so a lot of why I wanted to bring you on as the first guest on here is because of that conversation we had in November, 2020. And I remember you were like at your apartment recovering, trying to recover from that additional concussion you got against Bama after things had really gone south for really the whole team. It's unfair. And and part of the position with, being a QB, you get too much praise when things go well and then too much blame when things don't. Right. Um, and so, you know, I guess before I go on to to asking more about Coach Leach and just what was kind of a – what had to be a really difficult stretch, I want to know from the fan base perspective – comments I mean you you light it up against LSU and it's like every fan is ready to just say you know what KJ might be the best quarterback in the history of the SEC I mean there's they're so prone to just like yeah, going all on. the way and jumping the gun yeah. and then oh, but what's were, so brutal they ready they're ready to go but what's so brutal about college football fans in general and the SEC to the extreme is it really seems like they'll turn on you in about a week and a half. Yeah. And and I just want to know what what went down there and and what do you do? Because you people can say, I don't read the comments, I don't read the articles, but like when yeah, things start yeah, to yeah. go bad, you know, you hear it. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, <laughs> it started with uh, the, the thousand text messages after the LSU game followed up by like, week two, three, and four of getting hundreds of Venmo requests for for (laughs) money that I owed people for losing them for betting on me. (laughs) They were like, like, reimburse me. me And then growing up. Are you being serious? Oh, I'm being dead serious. How many many are we talking? Oh, I mean, it it got to a point where I I was just like, dude, at the time I was giving them a phone. Like 10, 15 plus. Yeah. But it was it was every week. It was like it was like five 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 or ten every week, and it was like a two three week stretch. You know, you get messages, hang it up, you're done, career's over. You know, from the same guys that were hitting your DMs before, like which I don't. Dude, yeah. Like, I, like what are we what, what are we doing tonight? To you suck. Well, yeah, but most most of those any any DMs that come came in through Instagram that weren't that were in the uh, um, the section of people that weren't you weren't following or weren't friends with. Like I never. I peek. I up for the first time ever when there's hundreds of them. Like you're gonna peek them and scroll them for a second. Yeah. Um, especially when you knew they were gonna be good, and it was just like, <laughs> oh. Yeah. But I think um, <laughs> another thing that we talked about on that on that call was you gave me the kind of full arc lowdown on Mike Leach, 
And yeah. we, got, we might have to fire up another podcast for that. But um, I remember you saying that he really got angry at you in training camp because mm-hmm. you read a coverage. Yep. You you essentially diagnosed a coverage and saw, you know, something, a safety role, and you went seemed to see him off a single high safety and explained that to him, and he thought it was the biggest smart-ass answer you, he's ever heard in his life and that it was some sort of disrespect from you. When yeah. that would have been the most basic baseline answer yep. required at Stanford to explain an interception or a batted pass. Yep. Yep. And it's cool having having this conversation with you because you can give some context and you understand obviously most you know the lay person listening and the fan listening might not understand the detail of what we're talking about but it is exactly that it's basically um his style um of playing football is literally just trying to um trying to create like intuitive responses out there and he thinks any sort of like, which the quarterback position typically is deemed as somewhat the most smart guy, the smartest guy on the field, or at least the guy that's prepared the most or knows how the chess pieces are moving before and after the play. Um, obviously, Stanford prepared me incredibly well, and that's why I went there because I thought that's what they do in the NFL. Um, and they do do that in the NFL, but with Leach, it's, what's so unbelievable, once again, two sides of every story, you can make fun of it, you can laugh at it, but Five weeks later, I threw for 630 yards. So I'm like, holy shit, this guy might be onto something. He's a mad scientist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, who, 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 does, who doesn't like science? Made. Yeah. The, 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 the combination of the two is obviously ideal. Uh, but when you've been brought up in like this very meticulous manner of like preparing for a game and how you communicate and talk about the game, and then all of a sudden you got to throw everything you've learned out the window. And kind of just basically, he's like, hey, I want you to talk to me. I want you to talk to your teammates like you're talking to second and third graders, right? Like, we got to bring this thing all the way back down. You know, like, we're we're trying to uh, – we're not trying to slow anyone down by uh, paralysis by analysis, so to speak. Um, and so that it was very interesting. I mean, obviously, I thought I could go out there. I knew I, – I heard through the grapevine that that was kind of his style, but I thought I could bring my toolbox and, and then – basically throw out a lot of what I didn't deem as necessary. And then because of his style, but you're in a unique, you know, situation where, you know, you're, you're playing under one of these coaches that is seen as a maniac for, for, for most of the fans of college football, I I would say over the last three years, like Mike Leach is, is seen as a maniac a week and a half ago. He was, Kicking over chairs on the sideline so his players didn't have anywhere to sit. Yeah, like that. Like that. That's a real. That's a real thing that happened. And like, were you like, yeah. yes, this guy's got it made, or were you like, this guy is psychotic, but his offense is a perfect fit for me? Like, anything, any info you can give our our millions. KJ, millions. did he? I mean, who is Mike Leach? Well. Mike Leach has a perception unlike any other. Uh, if you line up 100 people, um, him and maybe one other person would have uh, his take on that particular subject. Um, so I guess that puts him in a boat of uh, unique. Um, you know, and I remember before the LSU game, he tweeted something along the lines of at like midnight, 
Um, I'll debate anyone on any topic anywhere in the world right now um, on Twitter or something. He said something like that. I remember reading it. He also proceeded to show us the Mike Tyson fight. Like, because the, the insight, because his insight was so... Wait, 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 wait. Keep going. What do you do with the Mike Tyson fight? But he showed it like three or four times. I'm like trying to bite the dude's ear off before we played LSU. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing that it doesn't surprise me at all. You also I mean, we, told we, me... We would be go ahead, QB, go ahead. We would be in QB meetings and um, for at least an hour or so. Um, he would talk about anything and everything but football. It would be about world events it would be about politics it would be about geopolitical tensions it would be like and i honestly so me and leach outside of football i mean we could i could so drink a beer leach. listen i i i definitely i respect, <laughs> like, I, I, res- I respect coach leach right i respect what he's done right i mean everyone does it in their own rhyme or fashion um i wouldn't say that i'd go about it and do it the same way he did um, I respect a lot of his outcomes that he was able to facilitate in college football. Um, at first, I, it blew my mind that it was the outcomes were even a possibility based on his style. But over time, I grew and understood like what he was trying to do. Like he was trying to create a super monotonous system that like basically allowed a bunch of like I mean like a, a bunch of you know really hardworking, talented young guys to, like not think and just play and beat gritty dude i mean like he would he created an atmosphere that was just like middle of practice ball hits the ground the entire team is doing up downs like until he says so, no and then when he and then when he sees like you're kind of tired the first play he's going to call is four verticals and like i could barely throw the ball five yards because i just did 20 up downs you know what i'm saying and it's pissing rain yeah. out or like it's crazy bad weather and there's still no reason the ball should hit the ground and if someone and, and if another guy drops the ball during practice, after practice, everyone's going to line up with somebody else five yards apart, and they're each going to catch 150 balls, and they're going to count them out loud, right? Like he's he's the oldest of old school that's left in the environment that we all call college football and football. And my high school football coach was a lot like that. I mean, he said things that if any of it was on tape, like in our this world that we live in of politically correct, I mean, come on, like. And so I respect that. Like it's raw, it's organic. It's it's, yeah. No, you're you're hundred percent yeah, I mean, right, Tom right. Right. Like his, he, he abuses his, all his, his um, I mean, if you think about it, man, it's like you go back. Like I think in I think in Leach's wildest dreams, he would want to be like the commander in chief during the American Revolution. Like he would want to be <laughs> the guy. That's like, not that's not promising. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is like he, I mean, he's, he has, um, yeah, I mean, he, he basically delivers a certain level of intensity and energy just based on how he communicates, right? Like, um, when he brings the team up and when he talks about certain things, like it's not necessarily a rational or analytical solution. The solution is basically you just, you're just not hard. Get yards. You just don't care. Like you don't care enough. Like you're, you're, you're like, like. So KJ, so KJ, hypothetically, you go out there. You know, you miss a, you miss a read on a post. In practice, blatant right in front of him, you miss like a blatant read. 
what is Mike Leach doing as opposed to Shaw? I think I think Shaw is mad that you missed the read. Leach is ma- way more mad if you missed the throw itself, right? Oh, yeah. Leech, they want you to be making a, 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 a read. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There's when you fuck up versus what does Shaw do when you fuck. That's oh well, I mean, between us, I mean, I never really, really once got yelled at in my career with Coach Shaw. You know, he right, but but but, he, but but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that his strength coach and that Bloomgren, my offensive coordinator, and his quarterback coach didn't, because they did. So Shaw puts himself in a position where he's not the one delivering that. Course. Is that because he just positioned himself as the CEO and he's resolute and he's a calm, placid man? Or like you're you're in a unique position, KJ, where you've you've seen him, you've seen Shaw, and you've yeah. Well, under I mean, Brent, Brent, Brent would agree. Where he's I mean, calm, come on, like there's, he's calm, there's he's the, reasonable. Well, it's it's. And then you and then you went and played under Leach, who was like the opposite or per, perceived. As the opposite of reasonable, so I, right, I, I, rightly I so though, a, rightly so though. Like there's, there's I feel like you have, I, I feel like you have an interesting perspective on on the difference. No, I mean, yeah, so. I, I I think Brent's a hundred percent right. I mean, I think, I think Coach Shaw is upset with the fact that you, um, you made a mental error. Like you, you, you went to the wrong spot. That guy was covered, and it was this coverage, and you shouldn't have been hanging on it that long. Whereas when Leach went, where where Leach a coverage a coverage that I never should have touched a post route in a hundred thousand years at Stanford, even if it worked, even like that would never work again on paper. That was lucky. Yep. Leach is like, hey, if you think it's there, like rip it. Like there's no coverage. There's no there's no preconceived notions of what we can and can't do before the snap based on how we think this is going to play out, right? And me versus the other team, who's going to make the right decision more often? You got but one it sounds four. like Leach doesn't give a fuck. Of course not. He could care a lot. Like, he's like, uh, I mean, if it's covered two, I mean, the corner could slip. He cannot get the signal from, from the safety. They could be in the wrong coverage. He can slip on a banana peel. That's shit he'd say. He's like, well, who knows? <laughs> why, 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 do you think it's, why, do you, why do you think that it's going to play out this way? Why do you have so much respect for the defense? Like he and, and and he's a smart guy. He I think when you put he knows coverage X Y and Z this and that. But dude, Brent, you were in the room with me when we were going through a scouting report of UCLA. I knew where the guy went to high school. I knew how how, oh, how yeah. tall he was. I knew how much he weighed. I knew I was writing notes from like what I remember that dude did in high school. You know what his forte yeah. was when we did the thirty to hour long meeting. Leach gets up there like we're playing Bama. He's like. 22, these are all faceless, nameless, who gives a shit, right? Like, I don't care what coverage they play. I don't care what they do. We're going to go out and do what we do and put the ball in play and see what happens, right? Like, he's, he's, he's that other side of the spectrum where it's like, I told people this all the time. I mean, he's not subject to social norm, right? He's, 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 um, he supersedes social norm. He supersedes what, like, everybody else thinks. He puts himself in that world where like oh everyone says x y and you can't say x y and z oh everyone says you can't do this versus that coverage or you can't do that like i've seen it happen before you know what i'm saying it still could exist like it's not like he doesn't put himself in an eco chamber of what everyone else you know the styles of football that everyone plays the coaching conventions like 
everyone wants to do this. He's just like, I'm going to give my guys the bare minimum tools and kind of be hands off as hell and make them tough MFers to where they are never willing to say die because that's like the military side of him type. And when push comes to shove, like we're going to beat, we're, we're just going to beat you with pure will and, 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 um, balls at the end of the day. I mean, his guys play hard, dude, like really hard, you know? Um, and that's, that's his style, man. He's won a lot of games, you know? I mean, I think he's also been in a lot of situations where, you know, maybe the Alabamas, the Stanfords, the USC's, the um, Ohio States, the Michigans, right? They wouldn't hire him, right? Because of the unorthodox, right? The lack of yeah. tradition, the lack yeah. of the lack of tradition basically is what it is. The lack of like playing by the orthodox rules of football and what it is, how you talk to players, how you run meetings, how you do everything. Like he did it so different. And I will say that I don't think with the way this world's moving, I think Leach will be um, one of the last to ever do it with that style. I, 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 I hope not. I really don't. I think there's a place for both styles. I think it should be around. I think it's, fucking really good for for um society to have both sides to be honest because right you got one side of the spectrum that right is you know incredibly um ah, politically correct for lack of a better word and then the other side that's just like so raw like it's like shocking what he said <laughs> every time he says something it's like unbelievably shocking like i don't care where you're from you know like, I don't care if you're from the South. I don't care if you're from California or from Southern California. I don't care where you're from. But, like, um, you know, I you know, I respect both styles, man. I mean, it's I extrapolated some quick success with leeches. Wish it would have been better. Maybe it would. Maybe I would think a little bit differently. But I do know that he he exceeds being the leader in an environment where a the fans and, and everybody really really values football so they're willing to they're willing to put up with whatever it takes them or what, what, whatever it takes to get them to win football games um you know and and he's you know been at washington state he's been at kentucky he's been at texas tech and now mississippi state very all very similar niches in terms of schools that he has coached at in the past um and his style is obviously worked in, in those um, at those schools, you know, and, and Shaw's different, right? He went to Stanford. He coached under this tree of Bill Walsh from decades back, you know, and and basically just carried on a, um, a tradition and an orthodox method of a new style of football, the West Coast pro-style system. So it's pretty cool, man, to see, like um, – both sides be able to capture some success at the highest level. I mean, they both, they both did it to a certain extent. Yeah, that's well said. It's it. The stories I think will never end. As long as coach Leach is remotely in the spotlight, the stories will keep coming and the quotes will keep coming and the social media posts and the, you know, post game speeches. Uh, this is my last question. Um, so, and if the meeting goes away, it's fine. We still have the audio. Um, So, you know, since the kind of tumultuous, ultimately tumultuous season at Mississippi State, you have had tryouts with both the Chargers and then 
later, what, a year apart, roughly, no, even longer? Yeah. Uh, try out with the Saints, neither of which have converted, but you're still training, as you were telling us at the beginning. Still kind of in that stay-ready mode, it seems. And, uh, and also potentially looking at uh, USFL options, but yeah. The real, the real final question here, which I think kind of is a good thing to wrap up on, given everything that we've covered, is: is it fair to say that you feel prepared and confident to enter, you know, what you call the real world or you know, a regular job uh, when that day does come? Because I would assume that the bulletproofing effect of kind of the trials and tribulations you've faced have to inspire confidence and make you feel like you've got the fortitude to take on you know, just about anything the world might throw at you at this point. Absolutely, dude. I mean, I think that's why football is the greatest sport on earth. Um, you know, I think it's um, basically the closest, the, the only other closest metric to measure upon preparing and, and, and um, creating this like fortitude, like you mentioned, to overcome anything that comes your way would be war, you know? Um, but in many ways, shapes and forms, uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I would believe there's a, sh- a ton of parallels between anyone that's served for any time, um, you know, for the country. But I mean, yeah, dude, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, the combination of physical pain, the combination of physical adversity and emotional adversity um, I don't think, um, you know, maybe, maybe in, 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 um, the world of business, right. There's certain stresses in the real world. There's financial stresses. There's, there may be some situations where you might not seem that there's any, that, that, that you can't keep your head above water. Maybe. I mean, I know obviously that's a real thing, but, um, when you add in what, um, the majority of us who play, five, 10, 15 years of football, um, you're going to like, it is inevitable that you are going to come across landmines that try and destroy you along the way. Um, and obviously this is the, this is the overarching, um, theme of the journey is that, um, when you come out the other side, it doesn't seem like there's any tunnel dark enough for you not to make it out. I guess that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Right. I mean, I don't, my future in football is uncertain. I mean, I went to training camp, was on the team with the chargers, went to training camps on the team at New Orleans, but never, never got my, um, never took a snap, snap in the NFL so far. And I thought I'd be playing until I was 35. If you asked me two and a half, three years ago. So, I mean, in a nutshell, um, yeah, I mean, moving forward, I don't feel like there's, there's any obstacle that, uh, I won't be able to overcome. Um, I do feel like, um, in the real world, it's a different arena. So how you end up, how you end up evolving and overcoming, um, these different, uh, these different forms of adversity will, would, would be a bit of a, uh, challenge to kind of figure out how that, how that will play out. But I at least think the, the skills and the underarching real conviction and fortitude um, that I feel like I've accumulated from overcoming what I've been through um, should be able to get me through anything else uh, 
might come across in the future, but nothing's easy. And I still prepare, or I still plan to prepare um, the same way I did um, when playing a game or uh, when preparing for a 6 a.m. workout that you maybe didn't think that you're going to be able to get through. It's all the same stuff. Um, I do feel like it's definitely a <laughs> incredible tool in the long run. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the journey. Let's put it that way. Good dude. Well, I think that's the right outlook. Thanks so much. You're the man. That was long. We'll send you, we're going to edit this thing and we'll send you what we have before we do anything with it.